It's episode 10 with Ron at the PA shop in London, Ontario. Uh, I've known Ron for a very long time. We've worked together a bunch of times and I consider him a really good friend. His family is great. They work super hard and uh, I really respect everything they do. So let's give it a listen. Episode number 10. Exactly. <laughs> and is it Shrones? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's Shr- Shryans. Shryans? Yeah. Okay. It's Smith to most people. All right, let's get it going. All right, we're here with Ron, and I'm going to mess this up because we just talked about it. I say Shrones, but Shryans? Shryans. Shryans. What's yeah. the background of that last name? Well, um, I'm Belgian. I'm actually from Belgium. Hmm. I... Uh, so yeah, I came here when I was one year old. Uh, as a matter of fact, it makes people laugh because I uh, I came with Holland America. So when I go on the cruise ship, we normally now because I'm old, I, I go with Holland America, and and they're like, how come this says you were like, how could you have taken a ship in 1957? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that was my, I was one. I had my birthday on the ship. And uh, kind of freaks them out every time they have to. They're somebody must have screwed this up. That must have been like eighty-seven, right? I'm like, no, no, it's it's right. It's fifty-seven. So, I was like Holland America's first, uh, you know, baby on the on the water. But yeah, no, I was born in Belgium and uh, in in a little in my, in my parents' uh, place in Groenlo, Belgium, and uh, and then yeah, I came here when I was one. So what what made your parents come here was the the whole idea of coming to uh, Canada? Uh, well, I think it was a, a bunch of things. Um, I think primarily, uh, you know, over in Europe at that time in the in the 50s, um, it was pretty tough. My dad was in the army and, and uh, you know, they, you know, it was slim pickings there. You know, my, my, my dad lived in a, in a uh, pigeon coop. Uh, <laughs> It almost sounds like it's a comedy bit, but he lived in a pigeon coop and they converted it into a house and they had one bed and there was five kids and they all slept in one bed. I mean, you know, this, you want to talk about, you know, go back and, well, in my day, you know, the, the, the war kind of stories, you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, you sit back and listen to the stuff and you're thinking, wow, that's like phenomenal. You know, they all, they, you know, they all slept like end to end and, and looked through the ceiling and he said, you could, you know, there's holes in the roof and you could see everything. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity at that time. And, and he went into the army and, uh, at the uh, you know Second World War, and he went and and did his uh, stint there, and uh, and then came out, and there, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, him and my my mom had me. Um, not such a good thing to be at that point in time to have uh, a child and not be married. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big flag waving ceremony or anything. So that was one of the things uh, was that you know they just they needed a future and uh, you know Canada looked good. My grandfather was here already. He was working in construction and he was here and so he yeah. was always you know come to Canada, come to Canada. And so that's uh, you know there was a, a, a bunch of things that that added up to basically them saying um, let's go, let's give it a shot, let's let's try this and. Uh, and uh, they, you know they've never looked back. They've they've uh, they, well they've been back a few times, but they they've never ever thought about packing their bags and going going back to Belgium. It's been uh, Canada's always treated them uh, very well, and you know they've been they got 
work right away in, in big you know companies and and uh, the you know they worked really really hard so for everything that they they could get and uh, you know it's been you know literally an amazing love story an amazing success story i mean it, just the generation back then completely different than you know our generation or the next generation or it's just a different value system back then in yeah. in uh, in in everything in work ethic in, in relationships in 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 everything it's just a whole different uh, way of thinking and and uh, it, it's fun to to talk to them because uh, you know the stories they you, you know you think you know them all when you talk to the, your parents you think you know well, I know them really well I know all the stories but you talk to them and you hear stories and you're just you're like flabbergasted you're like my god I mean I, I had no idea you yeah. know my dad used to bike. 25 kilometers a day to, to visit my mother, you know, back and forth on a bike and not like the kind of bikes we have here. We're talking like old clunkers with like, you know, yeah. w one speed, not 15 speeds. And that one speed is slow, you know, and yeah. oblong kind of tires. And, you know, like, I mean, and, and, you know, they would bike 25 kilometers a day to go see each other and like stuff like that. You just, it's amazing. And you, you don't hear about it anymore. I mean, you know. Yeah, some I think nowadays it's like, oh, you live on the other side of town. Oh, that's kind of far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you guys really? have Uber in this town, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's uh, it's just a whole different. Uh, I I think, it's, you know, the last couple of years is more for me more interesting because I started asking a lot more questions and uh, and and getting more into uh, you know their early years and living in Europe and living in Belgium and, and, you know, war times, you know, like when, when, you know, like a, a slice of bread was, you know, hard to find, you know, yeah. and, and, and listening to that whole thing and, and understanding, you know, what they went through, it's a phenomenal period of time. Like what they've gone through is, is, is tough. Like it's, you know, people nowadays are like, oh, my air conditioning doesn't work. You know, life is over. You know, these people were getting shot at, you know, like, I mean, they, they, they literally were living on the edge of their lives every day. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's an amazing story. I mean, it, uh, um, you, know, you know, where they came from and, and, you know, where they went and how well they've done and, and uh, how hard they've worked, you know. I think it's, a, I think it's a, you know, anybody from that time period, you know, they came to Canada and, and, as immigrants and they worked hard. I mean, yeah. they... They built those houses. They poured that concrete. They they did all that stuff that uh, you know people nowadays are not interested in doing. I mean, no. kids nowadays are not interested in in uh, any of that kind of stuff unless it's automated or you know does it by itself somehow or you know like you know back then it was just a good honest day's work for you know my I think my dad said you know for, he was making like a buck an hour or something or you know like it was like nothing um, you know but keep in mind I mean at that time uh, in nineteen 60 uh, I think it was 60 when he bought the house he bought his house for $16,500 yeah you know which is now worth a little bit more than that yeah uh, but but you know everything's relative but uh, it's still a fascinating story so I, I love it yeah it's neat I, I know at one point with my my grandpa my grandpa George uh, on my mom's side there was one day we we took him into the studio and just same kind of thing we're doing now you know, before there was podcasting and all that, we kind of just sat down and chatted. And he told stories about how he came to this area and the different jobs he he had done. And you knew, you kind of knew about them, but you didn't 
really know about them until you really sat down and had a heavy talk about it. I mean, how many times do you have a really heavy talk about what really happened and, you know, the more details. And uh, we recorded that. I have it on DAT tape. <laughs> now I've got to find a DAT, DAT machine. I got one kicking around here somewhere. I'm not sure if it'll fire up or I, not. I, I guess still, I got one still. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know what? You, uh, that stuff's, I, I, and it's just been like the last year or so that I sort of have sort of divulged, you know, got into that whole thing. And uh, that stuff is valuable. Like yeah. it's so valuable. You know, and, and it's interesting because now that I'm a grandfather, um, it, uh, you know, grandfather for the first time. And then again, in February, I'll be a grandfather again. Uh, but now that I'm a grandfather, I'm thinking, um, Wow, we have a girl. Uh, we haven't had a girl in the family for literally years. It's like a miracle. Uh, you know, we just make boys in our in our family, so we've never had girls. But anyway, we have a girl in our family, and I thought, you know, when she gets older, um, she's not going to know these stories. No, you know, and like Grandpa George, I mean, his stories would have been priceless. Yeah, you know, to not have that or not know or. You know, for Skyler or, or or anybody else to not be able to go back and go, you know, I mean, they might not do it now because they're too young, but to go back and go, wow, that's yeah. that's like it's literally priceless. Like, and, and it's the same with my parents. I mean, and and I've already talked to them about it too, and and about doing kind of a you know a, a video and just talking, just sitting there talking about um, you know where they started and how they how they came and the story is so fascinating you yeah. know it's literally like a, it could be a movie like it's it's so fascinating um, and I, I think it would be a crime not to record that to have it for for future people to go oh my god like that's that's fascinating like it was just really really uh, uh, had no idea you know we have no idea the kids nowadays I have no idea what anybody back then went through. So no. it would be good to hear it. And, and not just from me, like, you know, all my parents, you know, my dad lived in a pigeon coop, you know. I mean, yeah, you know, everybody's, that's a joke and they're laughing and stuff like that. But to hear it from them, yeah, you know, then all of a sudden it becomes real. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, I'd be digging up that dad of yours right away and kind of. Yeah, there, you know, there's there's been times where I think I want to listen to it, but it's heavy, right? Because it's their voice and um, I know it's there and I know one day I'm going to sit and listen to it, right? But I haven't been ready to listen to it yet, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. So I just, you know, I've just been waiting for, you know, that day where I think, yeah, this is the day I'm going to pull it out and take a listen. So, but yeah, I think it's, and nowadays it's so easy to do. You can just grab your phone and hit record and, um, you know, start the video or whatever. That's there's no reason not to do it. You know, yeah. like if you're, and that's what you know. My thought there is is like, you know, why are we not doing this? Like, my mom and dad are. Uh, my mom's birthday was yesterday, so she's 83, and my dad's 82. So, you know, I mean, when is it going to happen? I mean, if it doesn't happen now, you know, it might not happen. So, you know, you wanna you wanna you wanna do that for everybody. Yeah. I mean, everybody around. So, um, you know, I'm sure you're. Uh, your mom and uh, you know, I mean, your your dad's not here anymore. But I, I'm sure that getting them in a room and sitting them down with uh, w the same thing, it would have been the stories would have been phenomenal. Yeah, like you know, it would have been it would have been amazing uh, to hear that stuff. And I, I think what sort of got me kind of going on that thing was your podcast. 
um, you know, listening to Brian and listening to Jim and listening, you know, and thinking, wow, you know, there was so much depth there that I've never, I, I know both those guys, yeah. and uh, it, but there's so much more there that I had no idea, you know, I didn't know at all. And, uh, you know, even you spend time with people, but you, you don't get into that sort of, you don't get in that deep, right? No. Like you get little stories and you then, even with Jim, you know, the amount of time I've spent with Jim on the road and that, um, you just don't get, you, you'll ask a certain amount of things or you'll hear something and something will come up that makes you tell a story from years ago. And, um, but yeah, you know, when I, I started this podcast, I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to do one for a long time and I, I didn't know kind of what direction I was going to go with it yet. I knew I wanted to talk to music people and, and just talk music stuff. And when I got Jim and the, uh, Jim Witter there in the first episode, I knew we ha- we would have lots to talk about. And we did. We talked for like almost three hours, I think. Uh, but it wasn't until after that podcast where I knew, I knew exactly where I, I wanted to go with, with the interviews and talking with friends and talking with mus- different musicians. And because you, you do know a lot of people and the music industry is very transient, right? So you 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 have strong friendships with people that you really don't know too well. And you'll spend some time, uh, maybe do a couple shows here and there, and all of a sudden you just become friends because that's what the music industry is about. But then you really don't know them that well. I mean, you don't really know where they came from or what's the story. And it, I think it, it's good to hear and it you know, makes, makes the next time you see those people, uh, and if you know the story, you know there's a little something more there too. Well, I think I think the big thing for me listening uh, to certainly those two because I know both those guys is that uh, it's inspiring. Yeah. Like I listen to that and I go, yeah, you know what? We're, we're a lot of the things that Jim was saying are the way I feel, and and you know you don't obviously it doesn't come up in normal conversations, but you know he's thinking about it and he he you know those are values of his that that uh, are important to him, and and I I agree fully. So in in a certain way, it's very inspiring. And and Brian, who I I don't know as well, but I mean we spent some time. We did uh, you know I was in the road with Charlie Pride, and we did uh, so we spent a lot of time in a bus together traveling yeah. and stuff. But and you know you hear some really cool stories. I mean, Brian's got a million stories. So you you hear some really cool stories. But, you know, listening to it, Brian, go back. I had no idea. I didn't have a clue, you know. And and it was, uh, it was... It, it just blew me away. Like I, I couldn't stop listening. Like I was literally listening nonstop. And it was, it was one of those things where you just don't want to turn it off. And uh, yeah, it was really inspiring. And I learned a lot. I mean, I, I and again, you know, he, uh, both Jim and, and, and Brian, I found that both of those things, um, if you were to be an, an aspiring musician or aspiring in the industry, if you were to listen to that, that gives you some direction. Like, I mean, there's something to be learned from listening to those guys. Yeah. And I even did. Like, I'm learning stuff by listening to those guys. And I'm, you know, I'm 61 years old. So, I mean, you know, you're, uh, you know, I was literally blown away. So, I mean, I've, I've looking forward to all the podcasts that you've done just because of, because uh, of that, you know, it's been awesome. great. Thanks. And, and, and obviously the, the drummer, um, what's his name? Edit, edit. <laughs> no, uh, Jason Brinkworth. Jason, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, yeah, obviously I'm a big fan of his, as you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I put that to online right away, right from the show, right from standing on stage about 10 feet away from him. Um, yeah, you know, a, a great guy and, and obviously a great drummer. So that was a really good, good one as well, too. That, yeah. was, that was great. So going back to you, which we're, you know, obviously doing this podcast about. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Um, it's, you know, you listen to the story about your, your mom and dad and, and, you know, the work ethic and, and all that. And, you know, when I look at, look at you and, and your whole family, uh, involved, uh, in the production and the things you guys work your tail off and that's, you know, you have probably the strongest work ethic I've seen, uh, from anybody. And you must obviously get that from, you know, growing up with your mom and dad and, and yeah. that, you know, that must have really, I mean, it's probably, you know, the genes in you, but, uh, you guys work really hard. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's definitely the, the, the genes because I mean, we're, I think it's just sort of bred into us and, and, and that's what we do. And, and you, um, you know, that's the way that we raise the kids. I mean, you, you know, and, and I mean, my young, my oldest son was kind of at the shop and working, you know, wrapping cords and doing stuff when he was like four years old. And it was funny because my my granddaughter now, you know, I, it was a joke the other day. I'm like, well, so, you know, when does she start? You know, yeah, she's uh, three <laughs> months old. <laughs> never, never too early. Um, so, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, I felt it was really important to uh, to install uh, a sense of worth with everything. So when, you know, kids are growing up, I thought it was important that they understand, you know, the value of everything, the value of work, the value of money, the, you know, not to throw things on the ground and you know, garbage. And, you know, I would go to restaurants to take my plate and put it back. And, I, you know, I would, it was a respect thing, but not just a respect for, for them, it was a respect for everybody. So, I mean, I, I try to install uh, th that with, with, uh, both of my sons and, uh, and uh, you know, I think it's I think it's worked. I mean, they both work really, really hard. We do work hard. I mean, it's it's stupid hard because um, you know people always think in the music industry, no matter what you do, that everything comes real easy. And, uh, and it's so far from that. You know, yeah. you're, you're the same thing. I mean, you work your butt off. You're traveling across the country. You you know your your life goes through all these changes but you know from our standpoint you know we work seven days a week and, yeah. and there's no breaks and my phone is already rang three times since this podcast has been started yeah. so you know that's just uh, you know the way it is and, and i think like everything else that uh, if you work this hard that you, then you well, you'll either die of a heart attack, or you you will you will gain um, respect, and you'll you'll also uh, reap the profits, or, or you know reap something. Um, yeah. and, and I think that uh, similar to the other people that you've you know podcasted, the same kind of attitude where you know it's it's a full time job. Like everything you do is a full time job, and um, you know you if you do anything you know half ass, then you will not succeed. And and I think that's where it's come from. You know, my dad yeah. always worked really hard. My parents worked in factories. I mean, yeah. they, when they came here, they didn't speak any English. And uh, they had to learn the language, which they, you know, they did fairly quickly. But, you know, they decided to work in factories. And they, you know, and, and I, I tried that. But I was horrible at it. I, 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 working in a factory for me was just like, 
absolutely i was an assistant cutter mechanic at green giant and yeah. uh, and so i smelled like a corn cob like 24 <laughs> hours a day it was a nasty feeling you know you go home you couldn't get that smell off your body it was just like horrible and uh, people would look at you and frown you know and and uh and then I worked at uh, Nosag uh, Springs, hanging uh, bed frames on a paint line, and uh, it was painful. Like it was painful for me. Now, you know, I mean, I don't. I'm not looking down on people that do it because obviously, uh, you know, people have to make a living, and, and everybody has to do something. Uh, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. You know, I knew that I had to go into the entertainment business. Um, you know, I was one of those guys like you know, like Jim, who saw the Beatles on TV and, and was like, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm in, you know, whatever. So, you know, my, my parents got some guy to come over with a, an accordion salesman, believe it or not. At the time, they, they were accordion salesmen on the road. Um, and they would show up with this massive accordion. It was like almost bigger than me. And, you know, they're here, you got to strap this thing on you. You know, and it was, I was like a skinny little kid and it was just like fall over on it. Yeah. And so, you know, I knew the accordion wasn't going to work out. But my mother, um, who, who on her one birthday, we came here and saw... Uh, Walter Osteck. Yeah. She still talks about that as one yeah. of her favorite birthday uh, presents that that uh, we gave her. Anyway, um, you know, obviously, when you're European and you're, you know, a polka yeah. is is a, is a king. Like, uh, you know, that's if you're going to be a lead guitar player or the singer in the band, you best be that guy playing the the uh, accordion because right. he's the rock star. But <laughs> anyway, so it didn't really work out. And then of course they were like, oh, let's try piano in public school. That nah, didn't really work out, um, you know. So it w I went to guitar, and it was like, yeah, I'm gonna do. You know, I had the silver tone uh, Simpson Sears silver tone guitar and the guitar amp, and and uh, you know, I was a rock star in my basement, you know, playing every day and, and doing stuff. So I started like physically playing when I was uh, like with other guys in bands when I was probably uh, 11 or 12. Wow, that's pretty young. Yeah, you know it was, yeah. and, and it, we used to take our gear. In, uh, we used to steal these shopping carts. Yeah. And we used to pile the gear in the shopping carts. And then we'd be like four of us going to the gig in shopping carts. And that's how we, you know, that's how we get our gear there. We used to play at East Lines Park, which was not far from where my folks live. So yeah. it, it's not like we're talking miles here. But we would just push these shopping carts to the gig and then unload them and then set up and, and, and play, right? And and I was like 11 or 12 years old. And, and uh we would play a little dance, and, and, and that was it. And then I remember playing in public school, um, you know, grade seven and eight, you know, doing all the public school dances and playing in, in bands and playing yeah. the old Three Dog Night songs and you know, Credence stuff and, and, and doing that. And at the time, you know, I was then playing guitar. Um, you know, when I went to high school, uh, we had, uh, I went to, uh, I was still playing guitar, but I went to see the talent show and uh, a bunch of my f uh, friends were in it and there were some people I didn't know in, in the band and the band that won um, was called Skid Slippo and the Zoom Zooms and they were uh, a 50s band but played 50s music really heavy. Yeah. Like it was like Metallica playing, you know, uh, 50s music and uh, and they had, uh, so I think the drummer Gary had approached me about uh, joining that band because they had literally put the band together for this talent show and uh, and they were like, yeah, you know, can you play them? We don't need a guitar player though. We need a bass player and, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll play bass. I don't really know anything about it but I'll, I'll do it. It'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun. I just wanted to play, you know. Yeah. And uh, and from there on in, this that Skid Slippo band was born. We had broken every record in in the, the city because back then, 
they had yet not enforced the uh, bylaws where you're only allowed to have so many people in a gymnasium. So we were right. all proud that we were, yeah, we we're breaking every, they can never break our record here because right after we did most of those gigs, they came in and went, oh, you're only allowed, you know, 400 people in here. And we had like 800. But, you know, we, we did all those high schools, you know, I mean, we did South and Weeble and, and all the, the local high schools we played. Uh, with this band and uh, we were just young I mean we were just young punks who you know we drank before we went on and we you know, yeah. you know we, were, we were a party rock and roll band you know so um, yeah that was a that was a great period of uh, of learning and understanding that uh, yeah this is a lot of fun I, I love this if I could do this for a living this would be fantastic that's a pretty cool foundation I mean to be that young and out going to gigs setting up your gear and um, learning how to none of that play happens anymore, eh? Like none of that, none of that happens anymore. I feel bad for for kids nowadays because yeah. that that's all over, you know. I mean, it was over a long time ago. Like when the DJs kind of DJ period really kicked in. Um, you know, I remember seeing uh, Doug Vardy and Sea Dog um, four times yeah. at, at high school dances, and uh, you know, I mean, that was inspiring. Sea Dog was an inspiring band. I don't think Doug ever knew that, but I mean, we all in the Skits Little Band were like, "Oh, Sea Dog, that's a real band," you know, yeah. and and uh, uh, you know, it, it was it was it was like I said, it was inspiring for us, to, you know, being in, in grade nine and grade ten to to, to see that kind of stuff, and uh, it, it shaped rest of what we did after that you know and nowadays that's just not happening no and you know it seems to almost come up in every podcast i've done now almost comes back the same topic and it's it's really hard and it really does the djs really did take over i remember years ago when when our family were playing a lot of dances um we do the wedding you know the whole wedding thing and i remember we're showing up at this wedding to set up at the same time the DJ showed up and the parents hired us and the bride and groom hired a DJ and either one of them talked to one another. So we, we both showed up to the same gig and uh, it's like, well, how is this going to work? And it was just, you know, big talking with the family all back and forth. So we just split it we just did a set and then DJ did a set and we did a set. Um, did it work though? Like, did it actually work? I think so. You know, because, you know, we, we made the older people happy you know because back then we you know we played the polkas and we played the dance stuff right and then the dj would come and make all the young people happy and so it kind of worked both ways i was pretty young i don't remember too much but i remember uh you know walking in and it's like yep this is an issue yeah exactly when we were when we were uh and it's funny because if the guys hear this they'll they'll uh, they'll laugh for sure blame ours and those guys but they uh we did a gig in windsor this was in the 80s of course we did a gig in windsor and uh we went in there and and uh, back then it was uh you know it was basically uh dancers strippers yeah. during the day all the time and then it was uh, uh dj and bands yeah. and and you know so we went into the club in in windsor and uh so the the dj is up there playing away and, you know he starts a show he's up there playing away and it's all this dance stuff and at the time, this is the 80s, right? So yeah. we were playing all this dance stuff too. And and we thought, we're going to nail this place. This place is going to be great. And so, you know, after he's done, and he's three times louder than we are. I mean, he's just like the, he's the bottom ends pumping and knocking furniture over. And, yeah. you know, we go up there and of course everything gets turned way down. And uh, so he he's up there, uh, or sorry, we're up there playing and uh, people are booing. Oh, 
People booed the band. We got fired on the, like the guy told us, you know, don't come back tomorrow. It's just not working out. And we were playing like all this dance stuff. Like we're playing, you know, freak out, dun, 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 yeah. you know, you know, La Chic. You know, we're playing all that stuff. We're playing. We did a Bee Gees set, you know, of, of uh, older stuff, and we did the Saturday Night Fever stuff, uh, you know, staying alive. And, and and we're like, how much more dances can you get? I and mean, this guy's playing the exact same material, but he's cool. And yeah. and we died. I mean, we literally died. And we're like, man, we you know we got canned. <laughs> the DJ kicked our butt, you know. But I mean, you know, you you learn. I mean, and certainly at that time, because that was when you know it was seven days a week, or sorry, six days a week with a matinee, and you're you know you were you were uh, you were working uh, all the time. And every city was different. You know, Northern Ontario was different. You know, every, everything was different uh, as far as where you played. You know, I remember uh, tragically, Hip got fired from the rideout. Oh. on the uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember exactly what day it was, but they got canned because he didn't like them. They they don't play any songs that anybody knows. Yeah. So he fired them. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, I mean, the Tragically Hip got fired on a, on a, on a, uh, on a Wednesday at the rideout. That's awesome. So uh, where'd you move once you, you finished with your high school and all that? Where'd you go from, from there after high school? Um, after high school, I mean, I think I, uh, I worked for a bit. Um, I going through high school, I worked for the, the, I, I don't know what they're called now, but at the time they were the public utilities commission or PUC. So, um, you know, I started in the pools, uh, pool staff in the summertime and then, uh, uh, it, it was great because when you're a musician and then you're hanging around all the you know good-looking lifeguard girls, it was it was a perfect mix for me at that at that point in time. Yeah. And then uh, so during that period, um, you know, I kept on doing that. And then I, I uh, in the winter time, of course, when you're when you're working for the PUC, you, you go into the arenas, and that's what I did. So that I learned how to drive Zamboni, and yeah. uh, and I went into the rinks and uh, and did that. So I went to school, and then I. I uh, I did that. I drove Zamboni on the weekend. Uh, did the weekend ships and in, in uh, you know different Argyle Arena and Silverwoods Arena and all different arenas, and uh, and that was a great way of going through school. You know, I worked out. Uh, you know, I made a few bucks. I was always a guy that had to work. Like, yeah. you know, I had to, to do something. I had to be busy. I had to be uh, doing something. So for me, that was. Uh, uh, it was a great job, and and uh, you know I was surrounded by really good people, and, and uh, so it was inspiring to to go in all the time. And never I never really thought any of it was work. I always thought it was great. So at the end of that whole thing, um, it was going on the road. I mean, it was you know it was playing in a in bar bands and uh, and and going out and and, and traveling and, and and doing that whole thing. So um, yeah, we just packed our bags and away we went and, and, and did that for. I think four years altogether sort of never came back and just kind of, uh, you know, played, 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 you know, I met my yeah. wife, um, up in Espanola, Ontario in the middle of nowhere and, uh, met her and, uh, yeah, that was it. We, we, uh, kept it going. So did you, did you have post high school education? Did you go to college or university or anything? Or? I never did. No, uh, I, I, uh, I Yay. never did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's funny cause I, I've done a lot of work at, at, uh, you know, obviously with production and, and different things, I've done a lot of work at, uh, Fanshawe and Western oh, and everywhere else. I mean, I, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and every, you know, when I was younger, I used to, I used to, I used to bother me a lot. I used to think, you know, I kind of missed it, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, it's like everything that you you don't quite 
no because you didn't do it but so it's something that you think oh i missed something yeah you know? i felt the same thing i mean it's it, you, but you don't know i mean i got this letter one time in the mail and it, it was from belgium and it, and it and this was before I realized that I'm still a Belgium citizen. Like I only found that out like five years ago. I thought I was just Canadian, but apparently when you're one year old, you don't sign over too many things, right? So yeah. um, I'm still actually a Belgium citizen. Wow. Um, so uh, they were like in, in Belgium. It's mandatory to go in the army. Like you yeah. have to go in the army. It's part of the gig uh, of living there, right? So. Um, I didn't go. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I was like, I'm like 18. I'm on the road partying and I'm, well, I'm not going in the army. I'm who'd go hell going here. And now, you know, after that, I'm thinking, I sh you know, I talked to a cousin of mine in Belgium and he's like, well, how come you didn't come to the army? He yeah. said, it's just a crazy time. It's a party. You have a good time. You put your thing in it. And at the end you get a pension, you get a pension check every month, you know? And I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I go in the army? How stupid was I, you know? But when you're 18 and you're, you know, full of, you know, piss and vinegar, you just want to go on the road and party and, yeah. you know, you think you can change the world and, you know, that's that's your plan, you know? Um, but then you look back and go the same thing. That's what the education was the same thing, looking back going, you know, what uh, what would I have done? You know, what, I don't know. It's hard yeah, to say. I felt the same thing when I finished high school. Um because I knew exactly what I wanted to do right then. And there wasn't anything out there that really, Fanshawe had its recording course, but it's kind of at the beginning stages. And I already recorded my own album and a couple other albums. And so I've been the, through the process. I've already actually recorded albums. And I said, ah, that's not gonna really, I'm not sure if I'm gonna get anything from that. I'd rather go somewhere uh, and learn from, you know, people who are actually in the business already. Um, and that's what I did. Worked with Rick Hutt and went to Cedar Tree. And uh, and that was the best thing for me. Um, but I think a lot of people who are in something that's very artistic, if you can get in or start working with somebody that's in that business, I think that's just far more superior. I mean, if, you could, if you're able to, and if you type the person, they're really suck in that information right if you can really watch and really learn then it's it's you know it's really great i mean there are people that i, I know and i have to be careful because we have to be politically correct here from yeah. from certain schools that have actually said that and, and, and said it to me and i've said it and i i know i know my buddy uh, dave mitchell actually failed the course <laughs> um but he, he actually told it to the to the teachers he said like you know i i've been in working with these guys and uh you know making some extra money on the side and, and to be honest with you I, i've been learning more from them than yeah. i'm learning from you and i'm paying you guys big money so you know there's there's uh something to be said for uh for that you know and yeah. and it's and i i think that i mean i've always tried to um you know give everybody the benefit of the doubt all the time like yeah. you know young people or uh, i mean you know right away i mean you know me and you have, have sat in this room and we've had people in here to audition for different things and within the first 10 seconds we look at each other and go yeah it's not gonna happen no. you know but but you you know you give them a shot you, you I give everybody a shot and it's the same and it's the same in everything it's the same in production it's the same in 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 uh you know players it's the same in everything you you know if you've been doing this long enough you pretty much know right away whether somebody's it's, it's in their system it's in their blood it's in their yeah. you know in their fiber um and and you know right away whether whether that and, and that person is easy to inspire and it's easy to 
you know, give them direction and it's easy because they sponge it and they just keep on going and they keep on going and going. Yeah, and it makes you want to teach them more, right? Well, You're it makes more you, willing to do it. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, I mean, I, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we, you want people to hang around, you know, especially in my position, you're a production guy, you own a company, you want people to hang around and, and do the work, but I've never ever, um, you know, I've never felt bad when people have moved on to, yeah. to, to other things, you know, and tried to better themselves. I think that that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. I mean, I've done a lot of other things in, in the, uh, you know, the last 40 years or, you know, 50 years of, of you know, being out there. I've, I've dabbled in a bunch of other things, thinking that the grass was always a little bit greener if I did something different or did this. Yeah. And, and and even though it's it's come back to, to kick me in the butt, you know, certainly financially, and, you know, it's, it's always been something that, um, you know, you, you're always thinking that, Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe I got to try something. Maybe I got to do this. Maybe I got to do that. And and sometimes it is. Sometimes it's like, wow, that was fun. That was great doing. I mean, I remember when I, we started doing uh, the, the music video stuff, and you yeah. were involved in that. And uh, and at the end of it, I I just I was so excited about it. And I, and I told people, I'm like, you know what? If I could do this for a living, I would. It, you wouldn't have to pay me a nickel. I would eat scraps. Yeah. I mean, I loved it so much. I mean, I haven't really done much of that since then, but it was such, a, it was like an, a massive art form for me that was just inspiring every time you did something. You're like, ah, oh, we're making something here. We're creating something, you know? I mean, you know, nothing with the, in the production business. I mean, we, we build stuff, we, we, we do shows, we, you know, we, we do a lot. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're pushing boxes around. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and although it's good and it's and it's great, uh, you know, and you make a good, you make a living, and everybody's happy, um, you know, doing that part of it, you know, writing music, playing in a band, you know, it's a lot more inspiring. It, yeah. it always has been, and I mean, part of the reason that I I kind of stopped playing um, years ago um, now was because it wasn't inspiring anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I, I couldn't just couldn't play Mustang Sally ever again. Like, I mean, and I, I still have friends that play Mustang Sally every night of the week and, and, you know, nothing against them. I, I understand it. I understand what their logic is for doing it. But for me, uh, I'd play for free all the time. Yeah. Like I would play, you wouldn't have to pay me as long as I was doing something I really wanted to do. Like the music was never about money for me. It was always about um, the playing and being inspired to play. It was yeah. never about, you know, I can make money doing anything. I can make money cutting lawns. I can make money literally doing anything. You know, the guys that were doing this just for money and to drink beer all the time. And I mean, you know, I have nothing against them. And a lot of them are some of my best friends. So, I mean, it's just, they have a path my path was completely different and it's certainly at that point in time you know i had two kids growing up and uh and you know my wife and 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 we're you know we, we were like we had to put food on the table and stuff but at the same time i had to look at the music and go you know what i just can't do it anymore there's got to be something more in this than this you know and uh it, and i mean you can you can sit back and 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 analyze it forever and ever and ever and and i've done it so many times because i'm you know me i'm an analytical kind of guy i tear everything apart yeah. and then i i figure it all out and then i put it back together i'm on a cruise ship i'm the guy figuring out how to get off the cruise ship and i walk on the 10 best ways to get off the cruise ship before yeah. i do anything <laughs> you know so i you know i tear it all apart and put it all back together again so you know that 
Um, you do that so many times, and I'm sure you've done it the same way. You yeah. know, you you sit down and went, well, you know, if I did it this way or I did it this way, um, it it doesn't really, uh, you know, it doesn't really help. I mean, I think for me, if I would have, I mean, I went, to, you know, we went to Nashville. I went to Nashville. Nashville was a a major eye opener for me. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I sit back and go, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, if I went to Nashville, man, whatever, you know, it would be different. Now, maybe it wouldn't be different. You know, it's one of those what if kind of things, yeah. right? But I mean, I loved it there. Like, it's just like, it's home there. Like when you're a musician or you're in this music business in any context whatsoever, when you go to Nashville, man, you just feel like this is where you should be. You yeah, know? and if you, you know, if you're, in the country music industry especially obviously everything happens there but when you when you're not there you really feel like you're out of it right you know what i mean it's sort of like because everything really happens there and not being there or not living there or whatever you, you really it's difficult i mean you're out of the you're out of the picture um you can see, you know, why people move there and to stay there. I guess it's that's where everything is. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the first time we went there, or uh, I went to that steakhouse, uh, which is the right downtown there. Um, and I and I just, you know, we went in there, and there were so many people in there eating, and you just looked around, and you saw, you went, oh, I, you, know, you can tell these guys are musicians, these guys are record people, these guys are publicists, these guys. So it was like man, I'm home. Like this is, this is like such a great feeling walking into like a restaurant where people aren't looking at you like you're some kind of a freak or something. Oh, another musician, you know? Yeah. Um, and you just went in there and you're like, oh man, this is, feels so good. Like it just feels so natural to, to, uh, to be there. So that might be the only thing looking back over the years that I would, I would say, you know, that was the only thing. And, and, and it might not, nothing might happen. I mean, you might've gone there yeah, never 30 years ago and nothing could happen. But, you know, it's one of those things where you sit back and go, yeah, I, man, that would have been, that would have been smoking good back then. So let's sit back. Uh, so you you went on the road for four or five years and did that six nights a week, whatever that was back then. And, uh, what happened to get you off the, did you get into production at that point? What, how, how did you go from being a musician playing six nights a week and doing that all thing into getting into audio production. Well, I actually started in lighting and, and there was no lighting in the, in, in our area. Nobody had any lighting equipment at all. So I would buy these uh, lights from uh, a place in New York, Altman uh, lighting fixtures at the time was yeah. a, you know, big staple in the industry. I bought all these lights from these guys and then I would build the controllers. I learned how to build the controllers out of relays and, and different parts, and uh, we would put it all together, and then I would rent them out. So I rented them out of my parents' garage. Yeah. Um, you know, and when I was playing, my mom would take care of the rental. She would, you know, go and and uh, and meet people, and you know, <laughs> do the do the do the <laughs> rental thing, which was, you know, I look at it now, and it's kind of funny, but I mean, she remembers it like it was yesterday. So, yeah. um, you know, so I I did that, and that's how it started, and then from there. Um, you know, I opened up a shop on Adelaide Street, which was basically a big square room. Uh, that I don't even think I had a bathroom. Like, as a matter of fact, it didn't have a bathroom. It was just a big square room. And, uh, you know, we started buying some audio gear and, and, and then building that up and building that up. And it was just, it was like a loading dock. It was like a loading dock door, one little man door, and then a, just a, a room, like whatever, a thousand square feet or something. And it was in the worst part of town. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just terrible. And then, 
you know, from there, I uh, we packed that up and moved to First Street, uh, which is off of Dundas Street, and 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 then moved into I think it was about uh, fifteen hundred square feet, and you know it was more of a there was an office there, so it was like yeah. wow we're, we're moving have a bathroom. Out. We had a bathroom right. and an office. It was like it's like moving up, and uh, so what type of production and gigs? Like what type of things were you doing at that point? Well, anything, yeah. really, anything that was, you know, anybody that was calling, any any of the gigs that were coming up, um, you know, any of the band stuff. Now, keep in mind, a lot of bands were, were played on the road. I mean, that's yeah. what I was doing, right? They were playing on the road. So they would pack up a sound system. And, and uh, you know, I remember Rockus Boris, you know, Boris yeah. was, played in a band called Rockus. And they would rented a system from, from me, and they would pack it up in a five-ton truck and drive all the way out to BC and drive all the way back. And... You know, they would, uh, every week, they would, they would rent that system, you know. It was big, you know, at the time. Those rooms out west were huge, and so it was like a, a massive pile of gear at the time. Yeah. You know, not nothing like in today's standards as far as, you know, no flying arrays or nothing like that. It was all just boxes that you piled up. But everything and, was, speakers were big, subs were big. Yeah, everything, everything was, was big and heavy yeah. and got pushed in the boxes. And, it, you know, it it, it was, it was and that was what, it, what ended up happening. We just ended up sending out these rigs on the road and... Uh, uh, you know, for a while there, I think we had five or six rigs I had on the road just traveling all the time. So, um, and then we'd do whatever was in town, you know, whatever shows came to Centennial Hall, whatever, you know, whatever we could possibly do. It was a little different back then because, I mean, we did a lot of our own fabricating. You know, you yeah. learned how to how to, uh, how to make boxes and how to make them work. And some of them were horrible and you'd light them on fire. And some of them sounded amazing. You know, we still have some. I mean, I still have, I mean, the guys are trying to get me to get rid of them all the time. And and, and uh, I'm sure they're like, why does he hang on to that stuff? It's just horrible. But but you know, we still have some on the shelf, you know. So um, that's you learn. It's like anything else. It's like you know, if you take a course in auto mechanics, the chances are if you break down, you're going to know where to look, or you're going to know yeah. how to fix things. And that was the same sort of theory that we had, you know. I mean, if it sounds bad, at least I know where to go. You know, I know I know how to look. I know where to find it. I understand the dynamics of. Uh, of where it was, and and I was around a couple of crazy people. I mean, a guy named Keith Tackerberry, who who was a, a good buddy of mine, and he was uh, an engineer. Like he he loved designing speaker cabinets, and so it was inspiring again to be around people like that because you're always well. If you do this and you make this a conical flare, then we can get you know 60 degrees out of here. This will be a long throw because we can do this. So it was it was all sorts of stuff that you were like, yeah, let's yeah. do it, you know, and and. Uh, I mean, the sales guys were banging on the door all the time going, oh, you just buy my stuff. And, you know, and it's like, well, no, because first off, it's 10 times the amount of money. Yeah. We're making our money, you know, return on investment way quicker. And then and uh, and we're learning something. Like, I mean, you can go up to their stuff and go, yeah, you know what? You kind of did this wrong. You know, you, you didn't do this. We learned how to fiberglass. You learn how to how to do stuff that, uh, you know, I would never have learned in the past, you know. And I've got pictures of guys sanding speakers in parking lots and painting and, you know, I mean, it's it was... It was good. It was really good to get your your get in there and get your hands dirty and and understand how things worked. And I and I think a lot of if a lot more people would do that, then they would sort of get it more. You know. Yeah. Now we don't do that anymore. Obviously, uh, you know things have changed. And uh, you know back then, and people would be like, "Oh, you got your homemade speakers," you know. And uh, but it didn't matter as much back then. I mean, there wasn't the name wasn't a big deal. I remember touring lots when I was young, and lots of people made their own boxes um, across the country and you'd see it a lot and you weren't as long as it they fired it up and it sounded good you didn't care 
what the name was. No, yeah. and and I think I think we 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 did, and mm-hmm. I and I think that we learned a lot because of it. You know, you yeah. learned sort of how things worked because of of the of the fact that you put it together so you know when things changed you know the uh, dbx came out with these new processors and they do this and you're like oh you know let's try that so you try that and you go oh uh, that sounds way better you know like oh we better go that direction and then you realize oh what about this you know clark technique just came out with this unit it's way more expensive but let's try it out oh it just blows the dbx out of the water let's get that you know so i mean if you were to have bought in a package thing you would never you would never have learned that you know by making these changes or by doing these improvements or by looking at this differently that you 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 know you learn as you go and and it, it and that's basically what you're doing so then when you do buy you buy smarter you know, you buy, you, you look at it, and you you buy smarter, and, um, and and I think down the road, that was smart. You couldn't do that anymore. I mean, no. th- th- like that that just couldn't fly anymore. Like, you know, nobody would use the stuff now. I mean, people would be like, yeah, no, if it, if it doesn't have a name on it, yeah. you know, I can imagine taking that stuff out to do a blue rodeo show and have them go, yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly, man. No. I, I mean, and then everything's advanced. I mean, you everybody calls, we all talk, we yeah. you know, we send out lists. I mean, you do the same thing. So, I mean, you you know, every single thing that you is is out there is advanced, and uh, and if you don't have what people want, you're not gonna work. You know. Yeah, and back then it was like. Like, okay, we need a PA and we need some lights. Um, we need some monitors. Um, and that was kind of the list, right? Yeah, I mean, to I some mean, degree, it was like, we're playing this room. We need a, I remember, you know, advancing shows really early. And it would be more, okay, the, the room seats 500. And um, this is what the band is. Um we need a PA that will, you know, fill room for 500 people. And it wasn't, okay, we need this. We need this particular speaker. We need a line array of some sort. And uh, this is the console we need. It was like, okay, we need a 24 channel console and we need a PA that will fit, you know, will fill a room for 500 people. And I remember that was, you know, that was kind of the list at one point, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, people, they did have their, I mean, it was like, you know, Soundcraft ruled the roost at that time, you know, yeah. with consoles and people, if you didn't have a Soundcraft console, you were pretty much the, you know, uh, well, you have a studio master. Uh, no, it's got to be a Soundcraft, you know? So there was still a bit of that going on. Um, but, but, you know, for the most part, it was like, you know, like turn it on and, 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 uh, and we'll, we'll get some sound coming out of it. And if it sounds good, then we're good. If it doesn't yeah. sound good, then we're going to start tearing your system apart and trying to figure out how we can make it better. Yeah. You know, so it was, there was a lot of that going on and, and, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, for, for, for a lot of people it worked and, you know, it's funny because people for, you know, that they used to use to use that home, uh, homemade box thing all the time. And it used to always be a little bit of a bother. You always used to feel like you were a second rate and stuff like that. But I, I remember a company in the, in the U S uh, you know, who seemed to have done really well with their homemade boxes, Claire brothers, yeah. um, you know, are still using their own homemade boxes and, you know, they're the, one of the biggest companies on the planet. So, you know, it's just funny how it is. And, that, and that's just a people thing. right? And that's just a, you know, guys not really wanting to give things a chance, but I mean, I always did. I mean, I would always love to hear different things when I went to trade shows. Yeah. Fire it up. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to yeah. try it out. Drop it off. You know, like I, I wanted to compare, you know, I remember we did this big EAW comparison one time. I'm not throwing them under the bus, but uh, the, the guy showed up. He spent the whole day in, in, the, in our warehouse 
hooking this thing up and tuning it and trying to make it work and everything. And, and it, it just didn't sound like anything. Like we were like, man, it just doesn't sound like anything. And he's like, yeah, but we've sold a bunch of these speakers and the guys in Kitchener bought some. And, you know, I, I mean, they're so popular. You should have these. And, you know, they were, and they were like really expensive. And we were like, okay. So he had to go to his car for something. And I said to Keith was there, I said, Keith, why don't we just throw up one of our old boxes on top of a bass bin and turn it on right beside it? Because it's mm -hmm. all relative, right? Yeah. So, you know, by itself, you can make everything sound good. But let's hear what it sounds like besides something else. So we fired it up and he came back in from his car. Like we literally fired it up in like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. We piled all this stuff up, plugged it in. And went, and, and uh, he's like, oh, what's all this stuff? And I said, well, it's just stuff that we built and we've been using over the years. And, and we fired it up, you know. And we blew it away. We <laughs> yeah. we blew the stuff away. And he was he was like, and he and he, he just said he said so. I guess this means you guys aren't going to buy anything. Eh? And it's like, uh, no, probably not. I mean, you know, I mean, come back when you got something different. But I yeah. mean, there's just no point if it's not going to be better than what we already have. You know, there's no real no real point in in making the change, right? So, uh, I mean, yeah, I get it. You're you know, it's a big name and it's a growing name, but at the end of the day. You know, you want, you know, $10,000 a speaker. We're building these for, you know, $1,000 each. Um, you know, we can build 10 of these. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, it was just, uh, it just had to make sense, you know, and, and I think that's uh, that's where we were. If we would have been in Toronto, uh, you know, Montreal or, or Vancouver, it might be a different story. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're, we're considered a regional company in London, and, uh, you know, we didn't really vary, we didn't go out to London too far. I mean, we went to, you know, maybe Sarnia and Woodstock, and I mean, we went to around the area, you know, draws in a one-hour circle, and that's as far as we went. But, but you know, we would never, we hadn't done a Toronto gig. We would never do that. It was never going to happen. You know, yeah. Westbury was, um, you know, Benny from Westbury was, I knew really well. I was a good guy. And, uh, I mean, that was, that was them, man. That was their territory. They were the, they were yeah. the guys to, 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 uh, to beat, you know, or not beat, but they were the guys to admire and to aspire to, you know, to really, uh, to what they were doing. It's neat. Cause you think, I know back in the day when I was, I had my own rig, I had a, um, kind of custom made box rig and um it you got good at making that thing sound good i mean you'd you would know it really really well i mean that's the thing you tweak it and you do this all these other things and and uh you could you could make them sound really good i mean i was always surprised i mean i look back now and it's like i said god i can't believe i did that gig with that rig i mean <laughs> it's like i covered a grandstand with that rig um but you did it you know at that time yeah i think i think the thing is uh and it, it, again it's the same problem right i mean we did uh bay fest uh years ago when it was still going and the two of the techs had just come out of full sale yeah. uh, recording school and uh you know and they were on those uh ssl consoles you know the, the ssl just came out with them like literally like you know like right out of the box you know yeah. and these guys were on those consoles you know and and uh and they were flailing, man. Like it sounded bad. Like it, it wasn't great. And and you're like, you know, this is the problem: is that these guys are cutting their teeth, like literally on this band, who is like a million. That band was one point two million dollars for that show, and these guys were cutting their teeth on this on this stuff, and they had no idea what they're doing. And I and I think it goes back to you know, it goes back to playing music, pushing our pushing shopping carts with your gear in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you figure out how to make it work, right? Where we had to do that. Nowadays, you don't. You know, if you're you're good in school and you can graduate from full sale, maybe you can get a, a big gig like that. But back then, you had to learn how to make everything 
everything work like yeah. and th- how to make every you know it's uh, everything sound great so you know i i remember uh a couple different things. I remember doing, uh, it was a lighting thing, but I remember uh, David Wilcox playing in town at, at uh, uh, you know, downtown London in a bar and, and talking to his production manager going, okay, man, what do you want for lights? You know, and, you know, talking, he, and he, he'd be like, uh, uh, you know, whatever, man, just some lights. I'm like, no, oh no, just like, you. what do you want, like 24K? You know, back then there was no moving lights. It was all all just conventionals and you want floors. And, and the guy, I could tell the guy was getting frustrated by talking to me. So at the end of it, he goes, he goes, look, dude, David Wilcox doesn't care about lights. If David Wilcox needs lights to be David Wilcox, then we all got a problem here. Yeah. Just bring some lights, you know? And and that was like a light bulb went up over my head and went, wow, that is so true. I mean, David Wilcox is not Pink Floyd. He doesn't care about the lights. He doesn't, he just plays his guitar and oozes personality and, and does his shtick and people love him for it, right? He doesn't yeah. need the lights to, 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 to make it work. And I, and I think that was the same with the audio stuff back then. You learn how to get, how to work with nothing. I mean, nowadays it's how many plugins can I use, you know, to make it sound like something. And it's, you know, it's uh, it's just not the same. You don't start from, they don't seem to start with nothing and, and having to make it work with nothing. They just start with everything. Yeah. And, then, and then you're like, my God, how do you, how you've you've just completely changed the tone and sound of everything and not only that but you squished it so hard that it has no dynamics anymore so it just sounds like a big wall of flatness you know yeah it's as if it was a good analogy there it's like they are it's like you're starting with everything and but you're trying to make it sound like you have nothing like it you you're using all these plugins you're doing all these things just to make it sound like something that's going through like one preamp. I mean, that's all you want this. You want it to sound like this old style, whatever. Um, but you're using 15 things to get there and, or trying to get there. And it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I mean, you know, going back and, and you sort of reflect back on everything else. Certainly when you talk to younger people or you talk, you, you, you tell them these stories all the time. And one of my favorite stories was I was doing the Balloon Fest in, in London doing sound. And uh, I had just done uh, Thundermug, the band, which was a London, uh, kind of a famous London band. For they had played it, right? And, and, and I had three different people come walking up to me at the soundboard. And all three of them were like, um, so, hey, man. That guy, that guitar player, what's uh, what's he what's he got up there? And I and I'm like, oh, he's got his guitar, a chord, and an amp. Yeah. And they'd be like, no, no, no. What's he got? Like, has he got his pedal board? Like, kind of how many pedals is he using? No, 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 dude. Seriously, guitar, chord, amp. That's what he uses. No, no. There's got to be a rack up there somewhere. There's got to be something up there. How do you how does he get his guitar to sound like that? No, man, listen, seriously, you know, it's a guitar, it's a chord in the amp. He gets his tone by the way he plays. Yeah. He's a really good player. He understands tone. He understands how to get, the, you know, he's got a little tiny Marshall <laughs> single 12 amp that he gets his tone out of. And he understands how to play with his fingers. Like, you know, you a certain amount of pressure, you get a certain tone, this mute this way, you get a certain tone, you do this kind of, and you, you get it. Uh, you guys are all freaking out about this guitar sound and I'm telling you all I do is push up the fader there's nothing on that I don't EQ it I don't do nothing I turn the preamp up I push the fader up and you guys drool and that's the way it is and that's the way it should be with every single thing if I have to noodle with your stuff a lot that means that you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to get a good sound, you know. Ideally, that's that's what it is. Some music is inherently easy that way. Like when you do reggae music, 
you know, everybody loves mixing reggae bands because there's a space for everything, right? So, yeah. you know, here's your drums. You got this big kick and snare and hat and, you know, you got this big thing and then you've got this big bass that sort of fits in here and you got a guitar that's kind of got a chunk, chunk guitar and, and organs, you know, playing off. off. And, you know, you're, you push up the faders on your audio console and you're like, it sounds like a million dollars and I've done nothing. Like, it's just, yeah. like, I get paid for doing this. It's amazing. And then, you know, you'll, you'll, next day you'll do a rock band. They'll have three guitar players in the band, and none of them can play in time. None of them can play in tune. And they're the first ones that come over and go, hey, how's my guitar sound? And you're like, man, it, you know, like, oh, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, what are you going to say? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's uh, if people would understand that it all comes from them to start with, you know, I mean, people use that saying, you know, crap in, crap out. But, I mean, it, it does start there. And that's why things sound good. All you, know, you do, you deal with great drummers. You know, they, they. I've I've done gigs where we supplied backline, yeah. the same drum kit, right? And the drum kit sounded completely different from drummer to drummer to drummer. Yeah, completely. Like it's like you're switching in a hole. Um, I can't remember. I talked about this with uh, with Jason Brinkworth on his podcast, but um, yeah, Nam show years ago, going to the Yamaha drum. Um, uh, night and sitting, you know, they they had about three or four kits, but most of the people say it went to the same kit all the time. And yeah, every single drummer sounded like this is sounds like a whole brand new kit. It, 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 you swear that the kit got changed out, but and then you think it's a drum kit. How different can it be? Um, but yeah, it's I've you know done tons of those type of gigs in the past, and I'm always shocked. I mean, just. I can't believe how different this kit sounds. And even here at the our theater, I mean, I use the our house kit all the time. And you know, we're just talking. You know, in our place, it's half room, half PA. Um, just because it's a smaller room, so you get a lot of the drums from the stage, and then you supplement it a bit in the PA. And um, but man, it sounds completely different. Yeah, it 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 really does. Yeah. It really is the player, no matter what people yeah. say. You know, and it's in every instrument. It's not just the not just the guitar player it's the drummer it's the bass player it's it's all it's all about how the style of how you play the tone and, and how you approach your instrument and and uh you know it doesn't mean anything the foot pedals and everything um you know i mean everybody who know oh I'll edit that out no problem uh everybody who knows me will know that uh I'm, I'm not a fan of any of that stuff but but i think that uh uh, you know, I think if you understand, if you start to understand that that you know it comes from you, then you'll just be a, you'll be a better player. You'll be a better uh, like you know when Jim Wooder plays piano. I mean, it just sounds great. Yeah, it's just the way he you know he plays it. He he sings and he plays, and you're like you believe it. You're you're thinking that that's it. You believe it, right? So I and mean, if you if you have a good vocal, this has been my thing, and I did this when I was touring with Jim and doing front of house. I would tune the PA to his vocal. And I've always questioned, because no one ever taught me how to tune a PA. I just went in and made it, I figured it's got to sound good in the vocal microphone. If you can make it sound good with the vocal microphone, then I always found that everything just sat well. I'd always bring up a CD, take a, you know, listen to the PA, see if it's kind of close. Uh, always, almost still always use the Donald Fagan Nightfly CD. Um, Cause I, I know what that sounds like everywhere I go. Um, so bring that up, take a listen. And then I always used to call Jim and say, hey, Jim, come on out. And I just, he played the piano. I didn't bring the piano up at all. And I just turned that vocal channel up. 
And I just sit and listen, walk around, tune the PA a little bit, take this out, take that out. And I found every time I did that, whenever I brought everything else in, everything else fit. Like I didn't feel like I had to hardly do anything. Yeah, I think I think the thing is, I do the exact same thing. So, and I think the problem is, is that you're, um, everything else is easy. Like everything else is easy to make sound reasonable. I can't yeah. say good because sometimes it's just not going to sound good because then I'd have to go back on the thing I just said before. Whereas if the player isn't amazing, then, yeah, yeah. then you know, but it, it, everything you can make sound acceptable, except the vocal mic. You can't make that sound good if it's bad. Like yeah. if it's if it's bad, you got nowhere to go. Like I've been on rigs before where I'm cutting and boosting and trying to figure out what's bad, and sometimes I just can't find it. Like I can't make that vocal mic sound good. It just sounds bad, and and I, I'm like, there's something wrong with this rig. Uh, New Brunswick is a, is a perfect example for me of of uh, yeah. at the casino there. I hope I know they're never going to listen to this, so I'll, I'm going to call them out. Um, I, I just can't get I can't get anything to sound good. And I, I ended up talking to the uh, front of house guy for Chicago, and he told me the same thing. He's like yeah man it's 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 painful there because we just can't get and chicago is a pretty big vocal band so we kind of need them you know we kind of need them to be on our side and he says i don't know why it sounds so bad in there and you know and, and i remember just yanking on all sorts of frequencies pulling them out putting them back pulling them out putting them back and going it's just not i i, I don't know what it is it's something inherently bad in this room i cannot find it but and i also remember when when i was out with charlie um, you know, out west, we would go into those rooms and they would have the big rigs up there and those big theaters and the guys would be like, oh, you're going to love it here, man. Our whole rig is simmed and all this kind of stuff, you know. And that's the first thing I would do is just take that vocal mic out and go, you know, hey, 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 check one, two. And, you know, and if it sounded like Alvin, and in most cases it did. Yeah, nine times out of ten it sounds like crap. And you're like, my God, mm -hmm. guys, you've got this massive rig. You know, you don't. I don't say anything. I just kind of bite my lip and try and figure it out and make it work. But, but it's, you, what you want to say is like, you just told me this is the best rig on the planet, and I plug one microphone in, and it sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks. And how how can that be? Like, why can't I get this one thing to sound? I don't care about anything else. I just need this one thing to sound killer. Everything else I can push up in the PA, and I'll make it work. Like, I'll make it sound good. I'll make it sound reasonable. But if I can't make this one thing sound good yeah. my day's over like it's it's i don't stand a chance you've already beat me i can't win because that's what people are here for they're they're here to, to hear that song they're here to hear that voice they're here to hear you know they're here to hear communication period whether you're just talking and if it sounds bad we're all done yeah and it happens to be the case more than i like to see it and i think back going back in the day when you're making your boxes, right? Half the time, I bet you checked them by plugging a 58 in and listening to them. Everybody does, man. Yeah. Even the big guys do. I, yeah. I mean, I, I know the big guys. Like, I know the, the big box manufacturers. I know them all. And that's their test. At the end of the day, they plug yeah. in a 58 and they go check, check, check. And if it doesn't sound good, then they just burn it and start again. That's at the end of the day, after all the after all the sampling and everything you do to tune a system, I mean, now everything's tuned internally in in, uh, in boxes and stuff. So when yeah. you get it, it's already, you know, pre-tuned to what somebody else thinks is amazing and and uh so you know that's what the way you get it it's all pre-done um but back then it wasn't so you know it was literally 
um, you know, there's too much volume. We don't have the right, you know, there's there's, there's not enough uh, padding in the box, you know, acoustic material for it. So the, the reflection inside of the box is too big. It sounds bouncing around. It's coming out. It's interfering with the actual speaker. Um, you know, we're getting phasing issues between there. And like there are so many things that you, you, were, you were listening for and, 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 and that, that were important back then too. At, but at the end of the day, when you plug that one microphone in and it didn't sound good, you're like, yeah, we're done. Like it's just, yeah. I, I can't. I my day is is going to be terrible. I, I did Bon Jovi at, uh, you know, kind of an off topic, but I did Bon Jovi on uh, at Bayfest, and uh, and it was like that too. And the sound guy, first thing the sound guy came up to me and said, um, "So listen, um, we got. Can you help me out here, man? You got to help me out here. Um, you got to take your bass bins and you got to move them like twenty feet further to the left." 20 feet further to the right you, you, you got to help me out if you don't help me out here it today's going to suck for all of us it's just going to be a really bad day um and and we're like yeah man well you know <laughs> you're the boss it's your gig yeah. we'll do whatever you whatever you want you know and he's like yeah the problem is the bottom end right which mm -hmm. is the same problem i have with charlie where yeah. you know charlie has if uh, he hears the bottom end, Huey Lewis now has the same problem. I posted on Huey's uh, Facebook thing, and, and he's, he, Huey himself said, "Hey, thanks a lot, man." Um, but uh, you know, if they hear bottom end, they lose pitch. Yeah, you know, it just wipes out everything you've got, and they can't uh, sing in tune. And I've seen many um, Bon Jovi videos where he is falling out of tune, and people are like, "Oh, that was terrible. He can't sing in tune anymore." But me knowing, you know, going back all those years and having dealt with that with the actual artist, uh, you know, you're like, well, that I know why. I mean, yeah. obviously nobody's working. You know, that's the problem. And that's what the guy told me. He said, like, it's either going to be a fantastic day or it's really going to be crappy. Yeah. And if we can't make these acoustic changes to, to, to make the artist happy, he said, then we're all going to have a really, really long, long day. And, and, and that's, you know... For me, that starts at, at the vocal mic, what we just talked about, right? Where, where that's the very first thing you plug in. If it sounds bad, you're, you're already fucking. Yeah. I, the thing, weird thing is, I don't, I know a lot of the new guys don't do that. I mean, they'll throw up some heavy music, um, nothing clean, or like for me, the, the Nightfly, Donald Fagan, I mean, that's as clean and pure as you can get you can really you can hear the top end super great you you know if the bottom end's tight you can whatever you want but then you put something super heavy on i guess if you're mixing something super heavy that would be great but if you're just testing the pa i always find it's a weird thing to to listen to um but you know that obviously everyone has their own yeah. way of doing it and and it doesn't mean that my way is right never their way is wrong it's just the way they approach it but it's it's different I, um, obviously you see it way more than I do, but, um, you know, everyone takes a different approach to, to that. Um, and, you know, going back to what we're saying with, you know, traveling to a lot of venues, I'm in and out of these theaters all the time. And I just, half the time, I just want to turn up the vocal channel, turn all the hue off and just have it sound good. Like as a, as a start. And it hardly ever does. And I, I can, I'm always just shocked. And it's like, and it's not just a little bit off. It sounds like crap. Yeah, it's always. And then you start, way you know, dialing and pulling this out, pulling this in and pulling that out. And it's like, oh man, you, you just, you just, then you just almost go down a, 
another hole and you just you know you're just making things worse for you but well, you're losing all your headroom right yeah. and, and you're changing um you know you're changing you know tonally everything and you're changing the sound and i mean everybody knows that in digital i mean everything you leave everything up you know straight up and you don't you don't mess with it then it, that's your perfect sound you start uh, you know you start cutting you start boosting and stuff like that then all of a sudden you're affecting the sound i mean you're affecting it because you're cutting and boosting but you're also affecting the quality of it now because you're affecting uh you know the ones and zeros but but you know i think that's sort of the, the telltale that's where you can i mean i mean I don't mix heavy stuff. I haven't mixed heavy stuff in years. I don't have the ears for it. I mean, it, I mean, I think about it every once in a while. I, you know, I have friends that do it for a living, and 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 they do it, and they do a great job of it. I mean, they, at the end of the day, they, you know, I just don't have. I don't have the ears for it. I, I can't yeah. mix loud. I, I, I would mix loud quiet. You know, I guess just I, I, I care about everybody. So I would care about the person in the crowd that's going, man, my ears are bleeding. And, I, and so I couldn't mix loud because I'd be worried about that, you know. So I, I'm not good at doing that. So yeah, I'm more into, um, you know, I throw on my Zach Brown CD that, you know, I, people are, are long tired of hearing. But, you know, the vocal is in your face. All the instruments are played by great players. Everything sounds really, really good. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, I get a good sense of, of how my day's gonna go. Yeah. How tonally, how my night's gonna go, how my days are gonna go. I mean, if you make a Zach Brown CD sound bad, then there's probably a bigger problem than than uh, than that. But I mean, at the you deal with it as it comes. I mean, sometimes there's nothing you can do and you just gotta, you gotta kinda go with it and, and, and do the best you can, right? And uh, but you know, if you can, um, I mean, it's no use crying about it because you I mean the problem is that people go, well, hey man, like you know, example, New Brunswick there, um, you know, um, you go down the hallway and you you look at all the bands that have played there. You know, they got the eight yeah. by tens, and there's like every band on the planet has played there. So, you know, me whining to this guy, what is that going to do? I mean, he's just going to look at me and go, what are you talking about, man? Like, look at who just played here. You know, like over the last. 20 years all these bands have played there who the heck are you you know so it was kind of cool when i got together with that guy from chicago and he was like yeah because they had just been there yeah. they just came from there and I, and I was like hey you just played in uh, you know and he's like yeah it was terrible it was awful i'm like oh thank god because man for a while there i thought it was just me but uh yeah it was good that uh, someone else reinforced the fact that it was it was terrible and uh you know th that's it so I, I mean simple is always better you know it's simple as Simple is always better when you're a musician. Simple is always better when you're a sound guy. Simple. I mean, I watch sound guys. Uh, yeah, it's almost like a, 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 you know, it's almost like a show, you know. They, they take it so far over the top to make themselves look so important, to make themselves not get fired or make themselves, their jobs look so important that you're kind of like sitting back going, really? Because really? Because this is painful. Like, you know, all this is painful. Like, you're not really improving anything or doing anything, but you got these guys convinced that... You're the guy with the smoke and mirrors, right? Like it's, just, yeah. it's and it's it's all nothing. It's all it's all uh, it's all fake. It's, it doesn't mean anything, yeah. and and it's you know one of the one of the best shows that I ever did was a, the Skydiggers, and and uh, I'm trying to remember the sound man's name. He was such a great guy, and and uh, it was in it was at the uh, Knack years ago at, at the bar. It's like an 800 seater, thousand seater bar, and he, and uh, so he showed up, uh, and he. You know, we're like, oh, yeah, man, how's it going? He's like, oh, it's all good, man. He's like, how many bands we got today? You know, oh, we got three bands. You guys are, you guys are closing the night out. And he's like, yeah. He's like, okay, great. He's like, so he, um, I'm like, are you guys coming in to set up and sound check? He's like, no, man, we're not going to do any of that. 
we don't need the practice. We don't need the. We don't need any of that. He said, I, "I'm just gonna. I'm gonna run through the monitors real quick. Make sure that they're all working, sounding the way they're supposed to." And then he said, uh, "He said that's it. He said, you know, every channel on the board works, right?" He said, "There'll be three bands playing before us. I'm sure by then you'll have it all figured out. You'll you'll have every channel working, and all the mics will be turned on." He's like, "That's all we need, man. We don't need anything else." And then you know, he went on stage, went through the monitors, went. Checked them all. Took 10 minutes maybe. Checked the monitors and said, okay, man, see you at 11. And then he came back at 11. And he just walked up and the guys pushed the microphones in place. The band started playing. Within the first two bars of that band playing, that guy had everything dialed in. Sounded like a million dollars. Yeah. And the band never showed up. They never sound checked. They never rehearsed. They never played for, for two hours beforehand. They never did anything like that. They just walked in off the bus walked on stage put their good stuff on and started playing and that was it and i and i i told them after the gig i said i said man that was so refreshing i said you just came in and did the job and he goes he yeah he said they hired me to do this job he said i don't see any point in dragging it out there's no reason to drag this out they're a rock band yeah and we just turn it up and we play and he said if i can't make it sound good within the first half of the first song he said then they should just fire me hire somebody else and it was such a refreshing attitude, you know, because at that point we were like, you know, bands were coming in demanding two-hour sound checks and demanding this and demanding that. And you're like, oh, my God, look at this. What happened here? Like, yeah. what's with this guy, you know? And and you're, you, you know, it was, you know, again, a light bulb goes up over your head and you go, you know, this is really the way it should be done. You know, like, he is 100% right. And it, it sounded good, and he, he he made it happen. So, it was you. You learn all the time. I mean, that's the great thing about our industry is that you, you know you learn all the time. But you do then see the the opposite end of things. You see the guy that will drag this thing out for three hours just you know to make it look like he's the guy, and and he doesn't want to lose his job, so he's going to. Or they drag out for three hours because that's how long it takes for him to get it done. I mean, there's some groups that you know we've worked with, and. I still work with today where you go in, okay, this should be easy. Okay, you're carrying your own little monitor rig. You're doing everything. Should be fine. You should be able to patch in, bring up the monitors, tweak them a little bit, throw up front of house. You should be ready to go. And it takes three, four hours every single time. And it's super simple. And I think it just people get used to this is how long it actually takes. Um, and you just sit there. I just shake my head every single time. This should be a thirty-minute, um, you know, procedure, and it ends up three, four hours every single time. Yeah, it's. Uh, but it, some people just get used to working a certain way, and that's that's the way it is. I, you know, you often wonder if if it's. Um I mean, because you don't know the way every band thinks. You don't know, you know, there's, you know, they've obviously been together for a while or whoever they're playing with. So you don't know the way they think. If they, if this is what they're demanding or if this is what the record company or management or, or the tour manager or the, the sound man's demanding, you don't know where it's all coming from. You know, like, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it'd be, we just did Brian Adams in the summer and, and there's a five hour window there from the time they show up to the time that you can have the stage back where they set up all their gear and they sound check and it takes five hours. That's a four piece rock band. Yeah. You know, I mean, what takes five hours? So, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about Brian Adams. I mean, it's a great show, great singer, great songwriter. Everything sounds great. Like it's it's all great, but it's five hours. Yeah. Keith Urban's four hours. You know, we we're in at eight. We're done at noon, and you know, you can have the stage at that point, and it's four hours long. You know, 
does it take four hours? You know, again, Keith was a four-piece band on that. Uh, the touring act is a four-piece band. So you're like, you know, you can make it easy or you can make it painful or you can drag it out, you know. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that if you're worth your weight at all and you think that, you know, that that's your job, then I don't see the point in any of it. I mean, when when I did the Charlie stuff, I mean, we we got off to a rocky start because you know there's no monitor guy and the, and and either there's a six monitor mixes from front of house, all the stereo in ear monitors <laughs> from front of house. So you know I took over that job, not really kind of knowing that what was going to happen there. But you know within the first two days, I kind of was like, okay, great. So now we're gonna we're gonna implement this iPad situation. Now, I'm gonna stand on stage with you and you're gonna tell me what we're gonna what you want to hear. And then we're going to dial it all in. For them, that was like revolutionary. They're like, well, you're going to do that on an iPad? I'm like, yeah, because me at the back of the room doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're no. going to do this from an iPad and we're going to we're going to make it happen. So we spent time and we played through, uh, you know, two or three songs and spent some time and got everybody. I would go to front of house and literally we would do if we did one song complete, it would be like a miracle. Yeah, I'd be like, OK, we're done because I. I you know, you guys don't need to practice. I don't need to practice. I, I can dial you guys up immediately, like immediately. Yeah. And in, in most cases, if you've been doing this for any length of period of time, I know how to pre-EQ that console based on what I see on stage and what I know, having done it for a million times. I can go up there and I can set up the drum EQ, set up the gain structure, set up the drum EQ, set up all my high passes on everything, set up everything before anybody plays an, a note. Like yeah. they don't have to play a note. All I gotta then do is push up the faders and then listen. And then I go back and I make those small adjustments. But 90% of my adjustments are pretty dead on, you know? Yeah. And, and the only yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. I think the only thing you end up doing is if there's a junky instrument or something, yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got to make that sound better because the instrument isn't where it should be, um, and that's not your fault. It ends up being, you know, sometimes you just there, it's a crappy whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, you can I can dial a drum kit in. I know exactly how to EQ a kick drum before I hear. It. I, I kind of know what I'm going to pull out and what I'm going to add where it should sit gain structure wise and and you're going to be pretty darn close you can be pretty close like yeah. you know people are like oh i don't know if i could do a you know a throw and go those are tough to do you know they're not tough to do man i mean it's tough to do if you want to throw in uh 20 plugins per channel yeah that's that, see that's where that's where that's where us old guys uh you know that's the, that's where we uh kind of sit back and go you know um that's just not what we're all about. I mean, yeah. we, you know, we spent years and years and years getting the best sounds off the stage that we possibly can. We're not. I'm not going to manipulate. You know, change the sound, manipulate it uh, to to what I think it should be. I'm just. Gonna, I want to just amplify it. I mean, the only time I'm going to affect that sound is if it's uh, affecting something else. Yeah. I mean, the hardest thing about about doing live sound has always been um, getting separation. You know, um, it, it's always been the hard thing. How do I separate all this stuff? You know, how do I separate the guitar bottom end? I mean, how many times have I done these rock guitar players where they're like, oh, I need more bottom end on my guitar, man. I need more bottom end. I need way more bottom end. And then during the show, 
you just high pass all that out. You just get rid of yeah. all that bottom end because now the now the, the guitar is interfering with the bass, is interfering with some of the drums, is interfering. Yeah. It's just a big muddle of mud, and you're like, you can't make anything out. You can't distinguish anything. You can't. So you know the hardest thing, and that's you know going back to the reggae thing, which is the easiest thing with that band because everything has a space, but with rock music, it's tougher because you know there's so much stuff going on. There's so much layered and stuff. Some of the country is tough too because you've got you know you want to find a space for a steel guitar you know yeah you, know, you got a steel fiddle yeah two guitar players and maybe a keyboard player up there you, you got to find a you space find for all for that now. right you know i mean charlie used to get mad at me all the time about the steel thing because i don't always used to find that space and slide them in there and you'd always hear the steel um you know because my mother used to listen to charlie pride and you know i heard steel all the time you know it was yeah. always there so you know you find a space in in amongst all that stuff to put everything it's not easy it's literally the hardest thing. Uh, I remember sitting down with a guy from Radiohead way on when we were still using uh, analog consoles and he had a Midas XL200. And as a matter of fact, I went out and bought a Midas XL200 partially because of that sort of sit down with him. I still have it. It's still at the shop. Um, but, you know, he, he said to me, he said, listen, here's the thing is that you just need a console with great preamps. And the Midas consoles have great preamps. And he said, the, these XL consoles, you can't, beat the preamps in these things they just sound so good and then he said 90 percent of what i do after i plug the mics in is all done with high pass filters yeah i don't touch too much of anything else unless it's a problem unless i see something as a problem i i will touch it but he said if you look at the console right now most of that console is flat yeah and he said i use these high pass filters for everything i get rid of all the stuff so that I can get my separation between instruments. So, you know, I high pass, obviously the drums, obviously the cymbals and the, and the snares and the, and the hi-hats and everything. And, and he said, I, I high pass like the guitars all the way up, you know, I high pass all that stuff. Because as a, you know, even individually, if you think, oh, that guitar sounds a little thin, you know, but, but as a combined unit, there's something picking up that space in that bottom end and it ain't it doesn't have to be you yeah. you're just muddling it up for somebody else so you know to get that separation is literally the hardest thing you can do in, in mixing sound so the whole plug-in thing to me doesn't make any sense if, if you look at it from from that standpoint it's you know you're trying to change the sound you're trying to do this it's none of that matters like it just doesn't matter yeah and i don't it's the same thing trying to find that separation and for me, I don't spend a lot of time listening to every single instrument separately. I just want I want you guys to play. Yeah. Just everybody play, and you just turn everything up because you can get a good tone on a guitar or an acoustic, but when you throw it in the mix with 15 other things, all of a sudden, okay, well, that doesn't work anymore. You have to high pass it you got to make it a little thinner you got to find a different spot for it in the stereo spectrum and and all of a sudden ah okay there it is and sometimes the only thing i hate about that sometimes you get bit in the butt on that one when you saw this oh now there's going to be a little acoustic vocal solo and it's like oh time to let up on the high pass a little bit and make it sound a little bigger now um 
but yeah, but I mean that's but easy. That's just to, easy, that's easy so fix. easy to do, yeah. right? I mean, that's literally like you know, that's just doing your job and that's leaning over the console. But you know exactly where everything has to go beforehand. Like you just, you just do. If yeah. you don't, then again, it's the same thing. If you think that all these plugins and all this stuff is going to solve all your problems, then you are mistaken. You know, but that's what their kids are being taught. That's what they're, they're you know. I mean, it's all the, what what they're what they're learning nowadays. Is that you have to have the latest greatest. I mean, these guys are that's their job. They're selling you. They, you know. They need to sell stuff, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's Waves or or whoever. They need to sell you. Um, they need to sell their product, man. They need you to buy it. They need to convince you that you use my product. It's going to be that much better, you know. And and granted, you know, some of it, it does sound a little better. It might be a little bit better on this thing. But I mean, I've seen, I've seen, uh, uh, you know, and. I've done shows where, you know, we have to have this console. We have to have a, like a, an Avid profile on monitors. And it's like, well, what for? Oh, because you're using a, a pile of plugins. That's why, because the, 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 the other Avid won't do the plugins, won't, won't do uh, like SC48s, won't do that yeah. many plugins. Yeah. You have to, like, why would you need that many plugins on monitors? Yeah. My God, like, uh, you must be really trying to impress somebody by, by doing this, right? And and I remember that, uh, uh, and he'll hear this too. This is, uh, and hopefully he won't get in trouble. But but uh, I remember a friend of mine who now lives in Nashville, and uh, was out with uh, Christy Ballerina, mm -hmm. and and he called and told me that they were in rehearsals, and he was uh, doing ears, doing the monitors for, her, and it was all ears. And he told me that the front of house guy, they were doing, I think, uh, nine songs. And they'd been in rehearsals for like three weeks to do nine songs. And every song, he had all these plugins. And all he was doing was just pressing snapshotting, them, to snapshotting a, a button. Yeah. He said, it took this guy forever. And it sounded horrible. Like it was absolutely god-awful horrible. And uh, he said, that's just the way those young guys go. I mean, that's what yeah. they're learning. That's the way that they're being taught, that uh, it's not about, uh, you know, not about the music. It's more about the, more about the tech side. Yeah, I saw, I think it was Enrique Iglesias at Casino Rama. I sat right behind the console, like first chairs right behind the mix area. And I sat and watched, and they, they all, during the whole show, they were all like talking with one another and the, the audio guy would be sitting back on his comfy chair and I'm thinking, what is he doing? And then the next song would come, he'd lean over and hit the snapshot button and everyone went, doo -doo -doo -doo. everything would change and the next song would start and it would just let it roll. And there was he wasn't really listening to anything. It just snapshot, next song, snapshot, next song, and he wasn't mixing. It was almost as if it's like being an LD when someone's programmed the show and you come and you just hit go when you're supposed to. And it was kind of the same thing for audio. He, there was no input from him at all. I mean, it sounded fine, um, but it was just weird. I'm thinking, it's like no one's really, they're just sitting chatting, having a good time while the show's going on and checking the phone and on the computer and, and snapshotting that song. So I can't, man, I can't, I can't get used to that. That wouldn't, that would, for me, why are you there? Um, I yeah, mean, and it, you know what? It's, I want to mix. If I'm there, I want to have my hands on the faders, and I want to feel like I'm doing my job. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's 
part of the fun of it is that you know you can create like what you're doing is you're trying to create a, you know an atmosphere for the audience and you're trying to create first off good sound but secondly you're trying to, so sometimes you actually do things like sometimes you're you know, like you know i know the end of the song has got this massive bottom end kind of you know and sometimes you're like you know i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna give that give that a little bit of a push because i know that given what's what, what I got to work with here that I can make this room kind of shake a bit in that bottom end and that's gonna it's gonna be very impactful for the people that are watching this show right yeah and uh, you're not gonna do that by hitting a snapshot I, I, nothing's gonna happen it's just no. gonna sit there and you're gonna roll along and it's not that people are gonna go oh hey man I, I thought you might have done something there I mean it's just a different way of doing things and, and I think that you know, I think that it's important to uh, to just have your hands on it. I mean, just you feel like you're you're sort of doing something at that point, and, and you're actually sort of controlling the way things go. And when guys change sounds or when everything, you want to be able to move that around and and just add a bit to it. And it's very simple. Like, there's I'm not talking anything complex, but it's just a matter of listening to what's going on and yeah. going, how can I make this a little bit sweeter here, or sweeter here, or change this here, or change this here. You know, I'm not going to change anything with the way they're playing. I'm just gonna make the overall sound sound really pleasant for the for the crowd. So, yeah, I can't the snapshot thing again. That's another thing that's never really worked for me because I, I you know, I, it's it's a newer thing. Younger kids are, are are all about it. You know, it's the same with lights. It's the same with all that kind of stuff. It just drives me insane. Yeah, it's it is a different way. I mean, I think it has its place, um, especially when it comes to muting and well, I think changing theater, effects if you need to. Yeah that stuff works good but yeah i think in um, theater where it's where you know it's all talking and you you want to mute channels and you want to you know you know change levels and stuff i think it's great there but i think yeah. in rock and roll it's you know we're, we're a little bit more uh hands-on or hopefully yeah. so back um going back to uh earlier days you're out renting out your gear and you kind of stepped up and started um doing more in the production and the things um eventually where did that lead i know you got in, a bit into you know the retail side and 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 you know your your building that you still have you have, to have the studio in there and i mean where do the things really start branching out well i mean a lot of it is uh <laughs> a lot of it is you know where you know you you're always like the grass is always greener or it's my five-year plan and i don't know how many times i've said you know what i got a new five-year plan i'm going to try something and and it's it's either failed horribly or or it's been remotely successful or or it's done okay you know and so i have a million of them you know that's the problem and, and you know and my sons are the same same way you know they're always thinking they're always got a million different things so a lot of this stuff came from that um the building that we ended up moving to off of first street we built my my dad uh, bought the property and uh, i was the general contractor on it i was in high school i was in construction in high school building construction so yeah. i had a bit of background in, in high school and uh and you know we built some speaker cabinets man we can build anything now so we decided you know build a building let's try that and we knew just from having done the research that we would save a lot of money and and get it done the way we wanted to so i was a general contractor on that so we had built that entire building and then i moved uh, uh we we had it set up we were planning on manufacturing we were planning on the retail we were planning on uh, doing all sorts of things uh unfortunately 1990 came around 
And uh, 1990 was a really bad year for the industry in Canada as a whole. Uh, that was the year that people decided that um, bands weren't going to play six days a week anymore. That's over. That 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 stuff's done. Yeah. Um, so 1990 was was a really really uh, rough year. I think I had a broken down truck in uh, Nova Scotia. I had a broken down truck in PA in Wawa, Ontario. I had uh, about uh, you know eighty five ninety thousand dollars in money that was owed to me. Uh, I was never really good at c- collecting money. I was always a handshake and a smile guy. It was yeah. which, you know. Um, never really works super well, but I mean, it always worked for me. I, I always like doing business like that. Anyway, it uh, so you know, I did a. We're just in the middle of doing this Tammy Wynette tour, and I had all this other stuff going on. And the Tammy Wynette tour, I think we did six shows with Tammy Wynette. And I get a call from Sarnia, Ontario, the Sarnia Arena, the old arena. And uh, the guys are like, "Hey, uh, so we're all set. Everything's up. Everything's running. Checked everything." Everything's good. We have one big problem. I'm like, well, what's that? Tammy Wynette just drove over the border. She's gone. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, what do we do now? I'm like, well, what can we do? Tear down. Well, what are you going to do? So, within about half an hour, the cops were there. Locked the place down. I mean, you know, they're like, what's going on here? You know, so the guys are like, well, what's going on? Um, so, we had to we had to kind of go through that. You know, the promoter hadn't paid them and... Uh, and they're they're like you know what the U.S. border we can see it from here, we're going home and and that's what they did and yeah. uh, so I hung the phone up and about 15 minutes later uh, my bank called and went uh, we've been hanging on to this check for I don't know how long and uh, it uh, there's no money there this check's gonna bounce we're just calling to tell you and I'm like I just got off the phone and they're shutting it down on on all ends and it was a pretty good sized deposit check. And I was already looking at broken down truck in Nova Scotia and broken down truck in Wawa full of equipment. How am I going to get that all home and fixed? And um, so, you know, I was just destroyed. I mean, I was I was at my lowest point in in uh, business and in life. And then I had two little kids and had to feed them. And, yeah. um, you know, my wife was working, but we had to make it work, you know. And so I called the bank and said, guys, I'm working for you. I started working for you Monday, and that was the plan. So I just started selling everything off, selling off. I, you know, because at the time we had a complete uh, graphics department because uh, we did our own graphics. We had electronics department, so we had wave soldering machines, and and um, I had a full wood shop. I had rolling table saws, these big Italian table saws. I had to sell all that, and we had a metal fabricating shop in there as well. We could do. We had semi-automated punch presses and. Um, you know, pile of that stuff. So anyway, I just ended up selling all all of it off until all I had left was the rental gear. Yeah. And uh, and that was it. And then they they sent an auctioneer in, and he looked at it and went, "That stuff's a bunch of junk. You're not going to get nothing for it." And uh, so we ended up buying it back and going back in business. And I was almost completely out of the business in 1990, and then I, I ended up starting again and built it all back up again. It's amazing when you. And you lose it all. Yeah. How you, um, how you get it figured out? How, you know. Well, especially in this business, it's uh, sometimes you're the last guy to get paid, and and it used to be that way quite a bit. Um, and it doesn't take long before you have a you know a few shows to 
to make that happen. Well, you know, it was tough. There was a lot of tough stuff going on and, and people are, um, you know, it was, it was definitely, it it was tough for everybody, but literally in 1990, the industry changed and, and that was a problem. There was no more of those seven day a week gigs anymore. They were gone. So bands are now playing weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, uh, or you know just Friday Saturday and, and and that was it. So the the whole thing changed. The whole yeah. uh, production industry kind of went through a change. If you know if you were in again the big cities, you were then doing the bigger shows. You were as affected by it. But you know in London, Ontario, um, you were more affected by the, yeah. the regional stuff and and dealing with the local talent. And so yeah, all of a sudden it was uh, you were starting over. And it was a, it was a it was a big blow to. But uh, but yeah, that's what that's what you have to do. You know, you got to pick up your socks and, uh, and 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 do it again. And then and that's what I did. So, so how did you get out? I mean, how you know, obviously you bought your gear back and and uh, what approach did you take at that point? Like, how did you have to change things to to keep things going? Well, I think at that point you you just you get lean. You yeah. understand that that uh, maybe the maybe it's not a good idea to keep going with these. Uh, you know these uh, five-year plans because <laughs> yeah. some of them aren't good. So you, you, you get lean and you start to realize that uh, uh, that that's what it's going to take. You're going to have to really watch every penny. You're going to have to buy smart. You're going to have to deal smarter. You're going to have to do everything smarter. Um, the fear of losing, you know, the fear, I mean, I had a van and they came and took it away and, you know, it's just, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really horrible feeling. I, I mean, I I can I can appreciate anybody who's going through it, because uh, you know you, if you've been there, you, you know the feeling, and um, it, it's a horrible feeling not knowing exactly what you're going to do. And and then when you do start and you do do it again, um, you want to make sure you do not make those same mistakes again. You know, yeah. like it, it's it's paramount that you don't put your family through it again. You know, I mean, I didn't sleep for days and for weeks, and I mean, I was worried about how my staff was going to, you know, how are they going to eat? How are they going to, where are they going to go? How are they going to, you know, you're, you're, it's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, and you, um, you know, it, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's, it's a, it's a horrible feeling to know that, uh, uh, you know, the people that rely on you for whatever reason, uh, you're letting down. So how long did it take after that to, for things start to really pick up? Well, I think, um, I was lucky in the fact that Kipling's, the, the nightclub was in town yeah. and, uh, Kipling's always ran a lot of concerts and, and, uh, and, uh, the fellow from Kipling's Earl Taylor is, is a good buddy. Um, we started working with Earl and doing all the shows there. So literally that, that was it. Like that was the gig. I mean, that was all it was. It was just enough to literally buy, you know, keep the gear going, um, and put food on the table. And then that was it. And then it was, uh, you know, a a slow growth. It was back to, back to growing and back to building and back to doing whatever you can to, to, to grow the business. And, um, yeah, it, it was a slow, a very slow growth, but I felt pretty good at the time. Like I felt like, as long as I can stay the course and I, you know, I don't uh, hesitate too much. And I was still playing too. I mean, I was playing on weekend bands and we were playing every weekend. So, I mean, I was, I was doing that. And uh, Kipling's was always the beginning of the week. It was always Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then they had uh, dance, they had the DJs on the weekend. So it worked out well because I was always gigging on the weekends. And then, uh, you know, I, the, the Kipling's thing would, would be, uh, would be great. So you just made it work. I mean, yeah. you, you literally, you did whatever you had to do to make it work. And then you started adding shows and sort you know doing whatever you could um 
uh, and then you, you you know you clean up you clean house you clean up everything you just you you, you I mean the charter house location it's uh, at the time it's bigger now we added the warehouse to it um, but at the time it was uh, seventy two hundred square feet and for weeks on end I was the only guy there oh, yeah. I'd be in there by myself you know doing everything from from you know booking the stuff to cleaning to you know everything you know i'd be there night day and night you know my wife would be like are you coming home and i'd be like yeah i am but i'm just you know i got paperwork to do i got this you're you're the only guy there like yeah. it, it's a it's a weird feeling being in a big empty building and, and you're the only guy working there um but, but i knew that's what it was going to take and, and and i was you know i was determined to to uh to make it to make it happen again i mean i had like i said when you got kids you're there's a sort of a sense that you got to look out for for a lot more than yourself, and and yeah. that's uh, uh, that's where I was at. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes you look at you know getting big doesn't always mean better. And I know here at the theater, we have people come out all the time, and it's like, why don't you guys you know build a bigger place, and and uh, you know you could have you know we're we're sold out all the time, and you know, you should be having a bigger place. You could, you know, do whatever. And it's like, yeah, but then we would be in debt and and then we would have to try to get ourselves back out. You know, we spent all this time building our business and we don't own, own anything, right? Yeah. We, the building's ours and, and there's a spot you get to where all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is comfortable. Um, I mean, obviously, at some points you got to take the leap, and for us, uh, we just don't feel like we have to at this point. It just seems to work. But uh, I know, you know, in, in production, it's tough because you you just can't stick with what you got because eventually there's a new PA that comes around or everything changes. Now everyone's using digital consoles. Now, I mean, everything completely changed. I know back in the day when I had my small. Uh, sound company and it just got to a point where i was like okay either i'm gonna have to spend a lot more money and buy a whole lot more gear or else i have to just get out because it just i couldn't at that point my gear was now starting to get old and it you know i needed to upgrade but to upgrade was a big deal and it wasn't something that i was doing as a full-time thing it wasn't my only thing i had my studio i had i was playing and and uh, I had to make that decision. It's like, okay, I have to walk away from this. Um, but yeah, I mean, for you, it's a people forget how much work it is, how much money it is, and how much time it is to keep things fresh and um, keep on top of the game. And you know, I've I remember seeing you know, probably you guys in the in the nineties. Um, I, I take a look back at even you know maybe early two thousands, and I look where you were then and where you are now. And I mean, the growth is, is huge, but you're almost a completely different company, right? Well, there's, there's so much going on, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the issue is generally, and I mean, this happens to everybody, right? I mean, and it, it, uh, it happens to, to, uh, you know, if you're a race car driver, the chances are pretty good that your kids are probably going to be race car drivers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it happened in, it, with us too, right? So I have two sons, they're, they're both 
you know, really smart. They're both really hard workers. They're both passionate people. I mean, I mean, that's the biggest thing in our family is that the whole passion thing comes in. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's the problem. I mean, I probably would have been good to just stay where we were. I mean, you are 100% right. The smaller you are, the more money is in your pocket at the end of the day. Um, the, the, your your headaches go way down. Your, your time is more to yourself. I mean, there's just a, a million reasons to stay small. The larger you get, the more headaches... Uh, that are, are there um, I mean I'm the logistics guy at the company so I rarely even go out and do sound anymore I'm trying to solve problems 24 hours a day you know whether it be scheduling or whether it be you know sorting out uh, what are we going to do here how are we going to do this what are we you know how do we get five transport trucks and all this stuff up to Timmins for the Stars and Thunder show when we how do we do backline for 40 bands and yeah. you know like it's like there's so many details it's so detail orientated you're you're you know most people their head would explode um but at the end of the day, I have two sons. Yeah. And, you know, they decided for whatever reason, uh, this is what we kind of want to do. So, um, you know, the, they grew into the business. So, you know, the expansion um, was, this, the, the retail expansion was uh, my oldest son. And, uh, you know, he's taken that to a whole different level now. You know, they yeah. have the guitar store there. They just opened a drum store um, with Rob Manigoni uh, from the Bare Naked Ladies, the, the drum tech. Um, and uh, they just they opened that, like, or, or sorry, October 5th is when the grand opening is. But the, the guitar store is fantastic. It's a boutique guitar store, and they're doing really well. I would have never done that. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because Ryan, my oldest son, tried to get me to do it years ago. And I wouldn't do it because I, I felt like it was crossing a line. I had some loyalties to some people in town and I felt that was just crossing a line. And though those people were never loyal to me, I, I always felt that that was crossing a line. So I said I would never do it. And then of course, you know, as time goes on and he takes they take over the reins, well, those relationships and handshakes don't mean much to the people. And uh, so, yeah, you open the guitar thing. And, and it's, you know, it's doing good. We have lots yeah. of other people coming in, and it's great. The drum thing, we'll see how that goes. I mean, I think it'll be fine. The recording studio we took over from Danny Broadbeck. Yeah. Uh, Danny is a good friend, and, and uh, you know, I know he works out at Fanshawe, and, uh, the recording course there. Um, he just got tired of answering the phone, was his excuse to me. He did it for 10 years. He had a great studio there. I got to sit in on a bunch of stuff and listen to him do mixes and listen to him program drums. I've never seen that guy program drums like that ever. He is a, like a, he is a drummer himself pretty much. And, you know, so we kept the studio. I mean, they, he moved out of there, the place we didn't know what to do anymore. It was just a big 2,200 square feet of space. And we thought, you know what, let's just make it a studio again. And what are we going to do? Nobody's going to rent it. Yeah. Um, so we turned it back into a studio. We cleaned it all up. We spent a bunch of money on it and turn it in the studio it loses money every month of the year every year of the year it loses money um, but it's the nicest place in the building yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we just don't have the heart to to knock it out and rent it to a plumber or something but you know and it sounds great i mean it's a great sounding studio everything that goes in there sounds good coming out uh aaron's in there now working and, and he's been there for a few years now and he does a killer job and they've got some great clients and you know it's a long it's a long process i mean none of that you're going to be successful i mean you don't have to tell you about being in the studio business yeah. um none of that you're going to be massively successful and if that's the only thing you're doing god bless you because man you're you're going to be poor for your entire life yeah. but but you know they're a combination right and that's i think that's what they're looking at combination of of the the retail side of things 
The retail side also has the installation stuff. I mean, they just did the stuff in Lucan at the arena, put a new score clock in there, put a new uh, sound system in there. We just put a new sound system in at Bud Gardens. Um, you know, they did a lot of the arenas in town. I mean, so a combination of the, the retail side um, and, and then the installation side, yeah. you know, they've sort of merged into one. Retail is actually kind of in the toilet now because of Amazon and those kind of companies. And I mean, you can buy a Les Paul at uh, Best Buy, you know. So, I mean, it, 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 it's changed the, the dynamic. Yeah, of it's really, really, really changed. Yeah. So, I, but I think what they're doing is we've had to reinvent the thing several times, but I think now they're sort of realizing that more of the boutique kind of operations yeah. are kind of where people want to go. You can go to certain places, uh, big chain music stores, and it, it's just, they're just box movers. They just push boxes around in front of you. If you want to go and, and talk to people and, and, you know, work with people that are, you know, passionate about what they do, then the boutiques are, are the way to go and, and I think that they've realized that so they're so you know Ryan is, is uh, taking that over and, and uh, he works really hard I mean again same as me you know they, it's a non-stop uh, you know seven days a week yeah. uh, when he's not working he's on his phone he's texting he's doing stuff the social media stuff they take care of all that there and you know it's a, it's a big job but I mean they, you know they wanted to be in the business I mean if he was a dentist or a lawyer he'd probably be far better off but he wanted to be in the business, so you know I felt it was my job to um, be able to, uh, you know, make that happen. Yeah, you know, and and that's what he did. Kyle works with the, in the production side, and you know, and you know Kyle, he's he's as smart as a whip. And, yeah, uh, he's a rock star. He is a rock star, and 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 uh, you know, we there's certain shows we do because he's there, and and people have made that pretty clear. If he's there, you got the work. If you do, if he's not there, we're gonna shop it. Yeah, and 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 that's. Uh, you know that's good that's that's what you want i mean and he does a, a killer job i mean at the end of the day um both those guys are uh, are like i said their main thing is that they're they're passionate about the work and uh you know probably another five years they'll be putting the old man out to pasture and um you know hopefully they cut me a little bit of a check and i can <laughs> <laughs> i can i can hang out with guys like you and talk so several years ago um you gave me a call and uh, talked about wanting to put a uh, uh, an album together. And uh, what year was that? Do you remember? Uh, I wish I could say it was last year. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, I think it was six years ago. No, it's got way longer than that. Oh, come on. Don't do this to me. I don't remember what it was. That's got to be at least 12 years ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it's got to be. I just listened to it on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, you know, they obviously came to a point in what you were doing that you wanted to get back into um, playing and, and put a project. You know, it's, what made you do that? What was that all about? Um, I was actually inspired. Um, like I said early on in, in this conversation, that I became sort of disillusioned um, being a musician and playing it just wasn't fun anymore and and like i also said i'd play for free if it was for fun yeah. like if it was if i was excited about it and, and uh um i saw a show on tv and and um uh, ricky skaggs and colin ray and uh what's her name country singer great uh female country singer was in it three of them it was a, a special on tv and uh i mean i was a fan of country music but i, I never really played much of it and uh i saw the show and and it, it it literally blew me away. I, I, I stood there. I was like, my God, that's unbelievable. Next day, I, 
I went out and bought a Colin Ray CD and uh, I went home and played it and it, it was like an epiphany. <laughs> yeah. I I believed every single thing that guy sang and I, and I just thought, man, this is what music was all about. Like, I'm missing it. I, I, I missed it for all these years. Uh, I listened to this guy and, and you know, everything, he, you know, he, some heavy topics, you know, he's singing about a lot of heavy stuff and everything had a lot of meaning to it and everything had a story to it and everything was, was, uh, and I just, you know, every time I listened to it, I just thought, man, this is like, the, this stuff is moving me. Like, you know, yeah. unlike a bit of today's country where it's just, you know, yeehaw and got my car and got my girl. And I mean, that, the, the stuff that he was doing was, was actually moving me. Yeah. And, and I just thought, man, I want to do this. This is, this is kind of where I want to be. You know, I don't, you know, I, and I, I did some research because again, that's the kind of Troyan's family tree that we are. We tear everything apart and we put, you know, we figure it out, we put it all back together again. So I did yeah. some research on Colin, Colin Ray and I, I discovered that he didn't actually write any of it, but he, he, he worked with all those great writers in Nashville. And, uh, and that's when I started sort of going, wow, maybe Nashville is a really cool place. And as it turns out, it was, but you know, at the time, I never been there. Didn't know anything about it, uh, other than that's where country music came from. And um, yeah, I did all the research on on him and, and discovered that yeah, he only recorded songs that were had some sort of depth to them, had some sort of meaning to them, and that he um, he was uh, uh, you know that that was a shtick. And he didn't seem to buy into the commercial side of it, or didn't seem to. He just did his own thing, and he and he bumped along in his own way. And, uh, and, and his music was uh, was really inspiring to me at the time. And uh, and then I started thinking, wow, you know, it's like it's kind of like years ago, like when I listened to James Taylor, it was the same kind of feeling, you know. I listened yeah. to James Taylor. James sold it, man. He he could sell it. And uh, and I believe that, you know. Um, Elton John, to a certain extent, Billy Joel, to a certain extent, on, on that side, you know, was was it was believable. But, you know, I'd already been through all that kind of stuff, and, and, and the, the Colin Ray thing was new for me. And... Uh, and I and I, I believed them. I, I, I thought, you know what, this is it. This is what it's all about. This is making people feel something with music is a really cool thing. Yeah. You know? And and I and I believed this guy. So I bought everything he had. I literally bought every everything I could find that he did. Uh, and then as it turned out, I worked with you and, and Jim Witter and we did an opening date for Colin Ray yeah. in Hamilton, at the Hamilton place. And uh, I was like a little school kid. Uh, I would have done that gig for nothing. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 you know, now as it turns out also, the band, his band wasn't very good. Um, I think I think we both kind of concurred on that. But Yeah, we just talked. <laughs> Jim and I talked about that the other day when we were at Hamilton place. And <laughs> I love Colin. Uh I know what it was about that that band we talked about. It was we were laughing because we came in to do our setup, and there was these guys on stage doing a sound check, and we all thought it was the crew sound checking because they weren't very good at all. And I thought, okay, it was just the crews just playing, and the real guys are going to come in later. Well, sure enough, the show started. It was the same guys who went up and <laughs> it, was, it was really bizarre. It was one of the most bizarre things I remember. And, and you know, it was really hard for me because, uh, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm just like, I'm such a massive fan. And uh, I'm thinking, my God. And I'm, I'm watching the, the sound guy beside me phone it in. And it was so disappointing. Like, I'm literally, he's like 10 feet away from me. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to, Put him in a bag and go, dude. Just, I know you're not really interested in this band. You don't really want to do this gig. Yeah. Uh, just move. 
because mm-hmm. I, I, I can I can do this, man. I I know all these songs, like I knew every song at that point. Yeah, uh, you know I could do a really good job of this, and uh, and he was just like sitting back, you know, like not paying any attention, and, and and I'm like I'm just back there crying. I'm like, oh my god, this is so painful, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know we didn't, and 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 you were right, and we because I mean we talked about it as well afterwards, and and the, the band just wasn't great, it wasn't musically um, strong, and it didn't sound good. But you know what are you gonna say? What are you gonna do? I was still inspired by it, and that's what made me you know get a hold of you and and uh, come in here and, and kick that can, uh, kick that can, and it literally probably the most exciting thing and the most happy I've been in. Uh, you know, 20 or 30 years was when I was doing that. Yeah, so you came in and uh, you put together uh, you put together a band um, and all great guys, really great guys. It was different because you 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 drew from people you, you knew and that you trusted and knew were super talented um, but they weren't necessarily country guys. Yeah, and, yeah fatal, uh, fatal mistake. Um, <clears throat> but it still worked. I mean, it I think it was a lot of work to make it work. Um, but w- what ended up at the end was really something unique and something really different. It's still one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I, I, there was just so much good about it. I mean, I, uh, you know, I think it was a, a great project. And like everything else, you, you know, you learn from, from doing things and, and, uh, you know, we, I learned a lot. Like, I mean, I learned an incredible amount, actually. You know, and I, I some of the stories even from from there, uh, having spoken with a, a bunch of the session guys that we had in, and uh, you know, I relay those stories to other people. And it's again, they are some of that stuff is really inspiring to, for for lots of other um, musicians to hear. So, I mean, I, I you know, we were at the time. And certainly, even now, when I listen to it, I mean, I listen to it on the way here. So, you know, I thought we were printing gold. I mean, I, I just thought that what was coming out was phenomenal. Like what we had to start with and what was coming out, uh, you know, that was where all of a sudden I was realizing, my God, um, you know, these guys, uh, you know, these guys can really play. They know their stuff. They're, they're great guys and, they, and they, they know what they're doing. So I was, I was learning at an incredibly fast pace, uh, you know, what was going on. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was good, and I and I thought that, you know, and that's just the the, the optimism in me, you know, you know, you you hope that that uh, you know people will pick up on it, you know, and I was hoping that the, 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 my guys, the, the guys that I I brought in, would uh, would maybe see that as as a as a, a way to go, and would sort of uh, you know go back and woodshed and do all this kind of stuff, right, and. Uh, and uh, probably not so much. They they really did, they didn't, which made it tougher on you because you 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 really had to put the time into to make them uh, sort of come around to make it acceptable. Um, and, and I think I think you did a great job. I mean, I th- at the end of the day, uh, I mean, Kevin would have done anything. I mean, he would have sang anything. He would have sang a phone book if you would have asked him, and he would have you know he would have yeah. done a great job. Um, he was one of those guys. He's just a, a great guy that just wants to sing and, and do the gig and. I think he, uh, you know, I think he's still a, a great singer and a great guy. And, you know, I, I'm disappointed that I'm not playing with him uh, right now. But, and, and, you know, Doug is Doug. Doug's got, uh, you know, Doug's still playing in a million bands and he's, he's doing great, you know. He, and uh, so Doug sounds like Doug all the time. And, and, and it was. Um, what was the telltale for me was that when we actually went to Nashville with it, I, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. And I thought that was, uh, 
it was a learning experience for sure. Uh, like any anybody who goes to Nashville would be, but I thought it was interesting that people thought we were like a touring band. <laughs> yeah, it was basically really the first gig for the band, wasn't it? Was there anything before that? No, there wasn't really wasn't anything. No, no, it was the first gig. The first we... gig was in Nashville showcasing. Yeah. Uh, after the album was done. And it was a blast. I had it. It was a really good blast. And you know yeah. what was really crazy? I mean, the first time we went, we, we um, you know, I drove and, and uh, brought the back line and, and I flew everybody. We all flew down there. Everybody else yeah. flew down. No, I, didn't I drive with you? You drove back. I drove back, that's yeah. right. And uh, so we... Um, the day manager at the bar, yeah. uh, 12th and Porter, it was a great place to play. Um, the day manager and the night manager, both guys. The one guy seen us sort of set up and sound check and do our thing. And then the night manager actually watched us play, uh, came up afterwards and said, okay, tomorrow night, you guys have to stay. You have to play tomorrow night. I'm like, why? What's going on? Big party, big industry thing. Everybody's going to be here. You guys got to play. You're like, you have to be here for this party. You guys blew everybody out of the water here. Like, I, you know, like it, it, it would be criminal for you guys not to play for this thing. We'll make sure that it happens for you if you play at this party. Yeah. And I had to say no. Like, I had to go, no, we got flights. Everybody's going home. Everybody's, but we were booked on flights. We'd love to, Yeah. you know. And uh, at, uh, that was a bit of a shocker for me because I, you know, I mean, I know we did well and I know that people liked the band and I know it was a lot of fun. And I mean, I, I was like on cloud 100. I mean, I mean, it couldn't have been more, more inspiring for me to be there and to do that. But to have these guys who, who really had no skin in the game whatsoever come up and go, um, you guys got to stay, man. You, you, you have an opportunity here. You just blew the doors off this place. You got to stay. Uh, that was inspiring too. I mean, you yeah. know, I uh, I was pretty happy with that. I mean, you know, not that it really anything happened, but but uh, I was pretty happy with that. And and you know, stopping that project was probably one of the worst things I could have ever done in my entire life because I, I think having done so much in the uh, country scene uh, with with uh, other bands and production and shows and backline and working with the CMAs and working with the CCMAs and you know working with all those folks um, there was a space there yeah there was room for that band and th that band could have done okay like I I I'm convinced a hundred percent I mean not even remotely I'm convinced a hundred percent that if that band would have stuck it out we probably would have done done pretty good um, yeah, it's, you know, you look back at those things and it's, it's, those are always tough things to, to know that like, I agree with you. I think there was a really great spot for, for that band. And I think it would have fit in that same category of, um, what am I thinking of? Who was the band that you just talked about that you played their CD, uh, for sound checks? Um, oh, uh, Zach Brown. Zach Brown. I mean, I think it slid in that market right before well zach zach brown gave me hope yeah. zach brown is hope for all of us old guys that that are you know are not super good looking and are old and uh you know are, are, all of a sudden zach brown's out there and he's playing stuff and i mean zach brown's a million dollar act now so you're looking at you know looking at all these old dudes that you know there are they, they, they gave us hope that yeah. you know there's still a career that you could have it may not be the Zach Brown career but there's still a career that you could have if you're a bunch of you know older guys that can actually play and uh yeah Zach Brown is a, 
it was a, again one of those things that was like man that's an inspiring band and and uh yeah i got all their stuff it's amazing it was uh you know it's funny because I, I i look back uh you know over the years with the both of us you know we kind of been friends for a long quite a long time now um but i think i've, I've told you the story a couple of times but we met back when i was in the high school <laughs> yeah i remember yeah. and uh my high school a music teacher tim nichols used to be in your band right yeah i played in uh well i was in my band at the time but i did play with tim for yeah. for a long time and tim i consider him a, a very good friend and uh and, and tim was uh at the time probably one of the best drummers that i'd, I'd ever work with tim was ambidextrous and uh so sim is similar to bill bruford he can play with you know any of his limbs and uh at any thing and it was amazing tim could do stuff that no one else could do and he was he was really good um but he sort of had the same fate as the beatles right so his girlfriend made him quit playing and he got a real job and became a school teacher so yeah. good for you um because you got to uh reap those benefits from from uh, mr nichols um yeah <laughs> bad for uh, the rest of us because he was a phenomenal drummer and uh yeah, he's a great guy and a phenomenal drummer and, and it was uh yeah, that's too bad. Oh, it's, I mean, it's not too bad. I mean, he's had a great life. He's done. He's taught a lot of kids, and and, he, and he's done really, really well. But, yeah. um, you know, he had a, a he was a great drummer. The uh, yeah. So going back to then, the first time we met, obviously it was a very casual meet. Um, you came in. I think we were doing some high school big performance with the music department, and Tim wanted to, uh, Mr. Nichols, Tim, wanted to go all out. Um, so he brought, hired you to come in with, you know, sound system, lights, the whole deal. And, uh, I can't remember what happened the day of the show. You guys got caught up in traffic or something. I can't remember. Do you remember this at all? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Anyways. Too much Diet Coke. You, uh, you were late coming to the gig <laughs> <laughs> and we're already, I think it was because it was, there was an evening thing. I think. What I kind of think, I think there was a bit of confusion. So I think there was an evening main performance, but yet there was um, for parents and whatever, but there was this, also this thing in the afternoon just for the school. And I don't know if that was made clear, whatever. Anyways. We probably didn't, there was probably a confusion on the timeline of what yeah. was going on because generally we're not late for. No, no, for and, you, and you're not. Anyways, and you weren't late, late, just a few minutes. Uh, so I was the only one, <laughs> one there that had knew anything about uh, PA system or anything. I think I was probably in grade eleven or twelve. So I fired up your whole rig <laughs> and started the show, and then you just kind of slid in, and then the, we I just slipped back into the band and away we went. And uh, uh, so that was the first time I actually uh, met you, uh, and I remember that plainest day. And uh, well, hopefully, I was a good guy. I mean, oh, yeah, you're great. I mean, what I was really worried about is that you were going to be offended. No, that dude. I'd fired everything that's up. Never, that's never going to happen. Yeah, I know. And you weren't like, I was, I remember being okay, I'm going to get my chewed out, right? And uh, uh, but I, I felt a little comfortable because Tim was there and he um, he knew you and he trusted me and whatever, yeah, yeah. away we went. Uh, but then several years later, um, uh, we meet at several gigs and then we end up doing this album together and, 
Um, and, you know, just became great friends and, uh, our families became great friends. And, um, one of the, still one of the coolest things, one, probably one of the coolest gigs, uh, I've ever done was when the family played at the Ryman auditorium in Nashville. Yeah, that was amazing. And we got that gig and the, I still remember the first thing that went through my mind, it's like, okay, I got to get Ron there to mix. And it's like, cause I knew I wanted to leave the stage. I was like, I was wondering, like, I love to play here, but I want to mix here just as bad as I want to play here. So I knew that you would obviously do an awesome job, uh, but I knew you'd really appreciate the gig. You know, some people, gigs are gigs, and but I knew you would understand how cool that gig was. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh it was definitely sort of an honor to really be there and to do that gig and to, you know, just be in that room. I mean, you know, it's funny, they put that little, uh, little square there with a uh, thing that people stand in that one spot. And this is where you stand, where everybody, Johnny Cash used to stand here. Yeah. And they, they do that all day long there. But, but the, um, I mean, the history there is just phenomenal. And it was, it was good. And, and I love the hanging out with the, the crew there. I mean, the, the front of house guy, uh, the house guy there was from uh, Fogarty's band. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he had some great stories. I mean, he, and he, and he, he was a great guy, you know. Um, the monitor guy was, he just started uh, actually, um, I think a day or before then he just started, he was with Travis Tritt. Yeah. Uh, again, some great stories. I actually had a Travis Tritt story that I had to talk to him about because uh, I wanted to hear his side of the story because it wasn't all that great. And, uh, and you know, he was like, yeah, I was there and you know, he told me the whole thing. But uh, no, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was phenomenal. And it's interesting because, um, you know, you have in, in your, when you think of different venues and you think of different situations, you have a preconceived um, uh, idea of what, what it's going to happen. And it was interesting because the Ryman is a bit of a tough room. I mean, it's, it's, I mean they've made it work. Um, because it's the Ryman and it's been there for so long and so many people have played there and it's all happened. But audio is challenging there. It's a PA system that's split into two and you're mixing on the top floor. And uh, that's not great, Uh, you know, by no means. I mean, the sound man was telling me when they had Prince there, they... It was like an absolute nightmare. They had to lower everything and change it all over, and it was just a, it was just an absolute nightmare because the guy was, they just weren't having it. They just yeah. were, were like, no, nope, we're not having it. You got to make all these changes, and you know when I, of course, you know I didn't have that kind of strength. Yeah. I was just some dude. Uh, yeah, it's me. I'm gonna mix. Um, <clears throat> But you know they were very respectful, and and but and it was interesting because I got to ask about it. You know I'm asking how they, you know how have you done that? Because when you have a balcony and it's a big balcony like that, um, you know they split the PA in half. There's all sorts of phasing issues that happens when you do that, especially with line arrays, right? You either it's really successful or it's really not. And uh, so it was interesting to uh, to actually sort of get there and and, and do that and and. Uh, it was an old PM5D, if I remember right. And um, yeah, I loved it. And I thought you guys sounded great and everybody loved the show and, and it was a lot of fun for me. I mean, it was a it was one of those things you'd never forget. You know, it was a, a life experience that, uh, that uh, you know, there's not too many people that can say that they've, uh, in our industry, have mixed at the Ryman Auditorium and, and I can. So I love it. Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was super neat that you were there. I would, I, I kind of didn't want anyone else there. So that was... Well, thanks, uh, man. That was really cool. So looking at where you now, obviously you've 
the PA shop has made a huge leap forward uh, in the the shows that you are doing now. You really kind of jumped into um, you can provide basically for anybody Um, yeah yeah it's it's been the the last year we've um you know we just bought the new um adamson rig and uh we uh you know it's a those are all big decisions because you sink so much money in it and you hope you cross your fingers that you you bought the right thing because um if you didn't you're you're stuck with it so um you know those were a lot of uh and i didn't make those alone uh you know kyle had had uh, made a bunch of that decisions you know he researches everything like i said he's and, uh, you know, he goes to the factory and tours the factory and gets it. And, I mean, he wouldn't buy if it was just a box. He has to buy, you know, for him, it's it's more um, the whole package. You know, yeah. what kind of service are we going to get? How, you know, how passionate are you guys, you know, about what you're building? And, the, you know, we don't want to buy something. And then a year later, like, ah, we don't we don't care about that anymore. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're building speedboats now. Um, you know, so he was wants to, you know, uh, put everybody through the process and, and make sure that we're all on the same page and, and Adamson uh, really came through for us uh, a lot you know and to which part we we auditioned their stuff for the weekend of uh, 2017 of rock the park and we had it there for the entire the entire time and uh, every band that was playing uh, was losing their minds so yeah. um, that was really really good uh, lady Anna, lady antebellum was carrying a rig with them like they had it in the parking lot yeah. um, there, and uh, from a, from a competitor, and they when they found out what we were what we were bringing, they just said, "Well, we'll just use that. We're not going to bother unloading it in ours because it's just too much work. Yeah. Ours, you know, and we'd already put ours up on the stage. It was in the air, and uh, <laughs> at the end of it, the tour manager came over to me and he said, "I'm going to be honest with you, man. This is the best this band has sounded the entire tour, uh-huh. and uh, and all of a sudden we were like, well." There's a check mark for the for this rig now, and uh, and then we did Alicia Carr the last day, and uh, and and she blew me away, like yeah. I, I she uh, literally blew me out of the water. We were all sort of standing there, the front of house. It was like you know six front of house guys all standing there, looking looking stupid at Alicia Carr band, uh, you know, and then a whole bunch of kids in front of us, <laughs> and uh, she started singing, and we were like all standing there with our mouths hanging down, going how does this sound this good? Like, how could this possibly sound this great? Yeah. And, uh, and the mix was okay. They brought in some hotshot guy from Los Angeles, you know, and mixed a bunch of big acts and they brought some guy in and, and he was okay. He was fine. I didn't, well, they didn't care hundred percent for it, but the main thing was her vocal was, was front and center. And, uh, um, you know, it was good and it sounded so good. Uh, we literally went back uh, the week later and said, we're in. And, uh, we spent, uh, a whole lot of money. Uh, we bought over a hundred boxes, and uh, we're uh, you know we we've been we haven't looked back since. We had it out with Foreigner for a bunch of Foreigner shows in Canada, and uh, um, you know we've had it out with a lot of uh, a lot of great bands, and and everybody's been uh, you know the Arkells love it. Uh, everybody's been very very receptive yeah. to it. So I mean that's a big leap forward for us, you know, to be able to to do all that and and. Uh, um, you know, it, it, unfortunately, when you're a regional, you have to do that with everything. So you, you bump up your audio, you bump up your lighting, you have to buy a bunch of new lights, video, we have 400 panels of LED video now, and you have to bump everything up to keep up with it, right? Yeah. Because that's the kind of, all of a sudden, that's the kind of work that you're aspiring to get. And uh, 
um, you know, you want to do a good job of everything. It's, it's, uh, you know, and again, sorry, you want to be as, you know, passionate as you can about it all and, and, and do the best job you can for everybody. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's come. Um, I mean, like I said before, I mean, um, it, the, the guys, the younger guys will take over and, and eventually I'll, I'll head off into the sunset on my horse and, uh, and, and that, that's what'll happen. So I'm excited. I'm excited for, uh, for the, for the future and, and, and where things go. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think I'll always be doing this. I'd have a hard time retiring. My wife talks about retiring all the time and, and, uh, I'd have a hard time retiring. Yeah. It's, it's cause it's just not a regular gig. It's, there's something about it that's, you know, exciting and still a part of who you are. Right. Um, and you know, I, whether you take a, you know, quieter role, I, it, it'd be hard to say it cause it, you know, you really drive, uh, everything there. And, um, yeah, I, I know Kyle's doing a fantastic job and, um, and obviously he'll probably take over that end of things at, at some time. Um, but I don't, I think he'll know that, that, uh, he'd be coming to you for a lot of, a lot of advice. Um, and yeah, well, things change, right? Yep. I mean, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, nobody's, uh, nobody's indispensable. So, I mean, um, people say, have said that to me before. They were like, oh, when you're gone, you know, this thing's going to, not going to be, uh, not going to be the same. And, and, and it's not going to be the same. It's, it's going to be different. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I think it's going to be different in a good way. I, I don't think it's, uh, uh, you know, by any stretch of the imagination going to, gonna crash and burn uh, but but I think it's uh, I think it's just gonna be a, a different kind of thing I mean you know everybody's got different ideas different ways of running things and uh, I, I'm pretty open to uh, to uh, suggestions everybody anybody who knows me knows that I, you know I don't get uh, upset too easy and I'm pretty open to ideas and suggestions and uh, I, I respect pretty much everybody from the guy who starts to the, the guy who's been there the longest um, you know I have a lot of respect for all those people all those folks and uh and what they think and 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 uh so you know hopefully um you know hopefully kyle and ryan do the same you know hopefully they 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 get it you know they they understand that that's uh that's part of what it uh what it takes to to do this um you know it's it's a business that is run by you know we're not making widgets you know we're not making things and pushing them out the door you know it's it's, yeah. it's a business that at the end of the day it's it's about uh, long-standing relationships that you create and uh, friendships and and uh, and respect for everybody, respect for the players, respect for the other people and the uh, you know who you work with, respect for everybody. And and I think if you get that, then you'll probably do good. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And you know, the tough thing is, you know, being the boss, if you want to say that. Um, and making decisions and buying stuff. I mean, everyone has opinion, right? I mean, I'm sure you could walk around the shop. I could probably ask five guys there, what, you know, what should you buy? What should you do? They're probably all going to have slightly different answers. Right. Um, and you have to do what's right for you. Right. And a lot of, like you said, a lot of this industry is who, you know, I mean, and, and relationships you build and, um, and I think what's tough as a business owner um, is 
when you've got employees or, and this is for any business, um, that unless you're the boss and have to look after making sure everyone gets paid and, you know, paying your insurance and paying this and looking after that and buying your trucks and buying this and knowing that you never know what that's like until you're in that position. And I always say that, you know, even with musicians, I think musicians should always go, uh, if they're touring, maybe for a week or two, be responsible for everything on the road. So here's your budget. You're responsible for buying all the hotels, all the flights, um, you know, everything. Uh, and get to see what it's really like. Because it's, you look at things completely different when you, you're the one that has to make decisions. And then know that, like you said before, you have kids at home to feed and you've got a family and, and you got to make it all work, right? Yeah, um, and, I, and I, I 100% agree. And, and uh, I mean, we've, we've proven this before, uh, uh, like many times over the years where you've had musicians who are basically not working and you know, call you up and go, hey man, I'm, you know, I don't have any money. I'm not working, um, but I'd love to, you know, work with you guys and you know, make a few extra bucks. And you, you get them on two or three shows, and you sort of watch them kind of develop, you know, and their attitude becomes completely different. And you sort of go, they come up to you and they go, I had no idea. I did. I had no idea. I have so much more respect for what happens behind these scenes than I ever did before. I had no idea that, yeah. that uh, this is what it took to uh, to make it happen. So, you know, I've seen that happen so many times, so I 100% agree that every single guy who's a player or musician should be getting his hands dirty, should load a couple of trucks, should pack cables, should, you know, you should know how the engine works, um, you know, before you buy the car because the more you know, the smarter you will be, the, the, the more valuable you will be. I say that they, 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 don't, they don't let me do it anymore now. They don't let me go into the schools and talk at the, at the uh, school level. I used to go and do seminars. Uh, and the problem was I was just too honest and, and they yeah. hated that whole honesty thing. Apparently, <laughs> apparently you have to toe the mark even if you're the seminar guy. And uh, I used to say that all the time. I used to say, listen, the last thing I, I really want you to do is come into my office or the with a resume that says you're a Pro Tools expert. Um, I don't need a Pro Tools expert, man. That's the last thing I want is a Pro Tools expert. I mean, if you can fold drapes, you're more valuable to me than a Pro Tools expert. Yeah. Because, you know, I, corporate shows, I need guys that can fold drape, you know, and not just bundle it up and throw in a road case in a big pile. Um, you know, I, I, that's that's the thing. So, you know, I, I always used to say the same thing, you know, get your forklift ticket. Learn how to get your AZ ticket for driving trucks. Um, get your rigging license. Get your rigging tickets. Take the courses. Take all the service courses you can. Get them on. You know, take everything you can. It's all out there. Um, you know, load up your load up your resume with stuff that's really valuable. Yeah. And then you know you can work anywhere on this planet. Like you yourself, Darren Walters can work in any country in on the planet. Like tomorrow, you can start working anywhere in the, because of what you know, because of all the stuff that you're able to do. Um, if all you are is a guitar player who does some backup vocals, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to, to load up all of yourself with um, all the skills that you need, not just playing guitar, but uh, 
you know, you, you say tour managing, booking hotel rooms and taking care of all this kind of stuff, you know, there's a huge value in that. And, you know, until you do it, you just don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been a great conversation. I think we could do this again sometime and talk more. I think we both have lots of stories and things that we could tell, maybe things we shouldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it's been, uh, a real fantastic conversation and uh i really respect uh what you do and what your family uh has has accomplished and and uh your boys are great um uh, i love chatting with them and they're really hard workers and I, I know where they get that from and i know where you get your hard work from uh your wife's fantastic you're one of the nicest ladies uh, I've ever met and uh, yeah I don't still know what she's doing with me I've, I've offered told her so many times that, you know it's not too late you can uh, you're a good looking woman you can easily find a doctor or a lawyer you can live a beautiful life I tell her all the time but she doesn't she hasn't done it yet so we'll see. no I think it's it's a you know a complete package there and and as I said I, I respect how hard you guys work it's I, I don't think anyone has any idea uh, what it takes to uh, to do what you guys do and and you're doing fantastic work and I, I keep seeing you guys just keep skyrocketing getting bigger bigger gigs and and uh it, it's fantastic we're really happy for you so appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, i know it's about let's see it's about 20 to 10 and you've got a load in in windsor at 3 a.m <laughs> so yeah, it's just... yeah leave london at one and uh and then we load in at three it's a church show we're done at uh 11 30 in the morning so i'll be pretty pretty burned out by the time I get back. To yeah. Town. But that's how hard you work. I mean, that's, you're not afraid to do that. So it's uh, very respected. And uh, I know people out there really respect what you guys do and we hear it all the time. So thanks again for being on the podcast and, and anyone who wants to find out about the, uh, the PA shop and what you guys are doing. Um, I know you have a presence on, on Facebook, correct? All over Facebook. Yeah. And on, uh, on their website too, on the, uh, make sure you reach out to, uh, Ryan on the, uh, retail side of stuff, or if you want to check out the, uh, uh, the guitar center there, the, uh, it's a great idea having that real boutique, um, yeah, it's, place I, there. I, I can't go there cause I, I end up, I'm stuck there for like hours. I, every time I, and Boris works there, right? So yeah. I go there and you're stuck there because you're just talking about, uh, you can't get out of that place. That's just, yeah. it's tough. Um, so yeah, great again, and make sure you check out the PA shop. And if you've got uh, any type of show, make sure you reach out to Ron. Uh, they they're a fantastic production company, and they'll look after you uh, extremely well. Um, staging, uh, they have uh, a bunch of um, stage line stages, and, um, and anything you can possibly imagine that uh, you'd want. That uh, make sure you give Ron a call, and he'd be more than happy to talk with you. And also don't forget on iTunes, make sure that you rate and like uh, In Session with Darren Walters and reach out to me on Facebook as well, Darren Walters. I'm on Instagram and uh, the website for this podcast, darrenwalterspodcast.com. And you see all the back uh, uh, podcasts we've done and uh, we're just kind of getting rolling. We've got uh, a bunch of things lined up. So excited uh, for the next bunch of interviews. So we'll see you next time. Thanks, Ron. Hey, thank you very much. Bye now. Bye-bye.